Here you go. Oh. That's exactly what I meant to do. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Baby, or should I say, Anime Baby? This is your host, ready for some alien hunting! Alien hunting! Mikey, and with me as always is. Your faithful robot companion on this merry journey, your co-host, Ryan. And making his return to the podcast. Always on the lookout for boobies, baby. It's Tony. And welcome back to Summer of Toonami. Oh yeah, I'm back in the saddle once again, leading the episode after uh, hanging in the back seat for our previous episode all about Samurai Jack Season 5, <laughs> which you did good, by the way. Yes, good thank you. job. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, had, for uh, your first time out. I had a really fun time with it, and we had a really fun time with Taha as well. Oh yeah, and like, based on the fact that we went over four and a half hours for that one, you knew we had a good time, because we just, none of us could stop talking about the show. Yep. And it was fucking dirty, by the way. My <laughs> yes. word! Yes, I, I apologize for all the, uh... <laughs> Very, very blue uh, choice words we said on that episode. I was, <laughs> I was out for a walk in the park and you guys were talking. I forget what it was exactly, but I was like trying not to look like an idiot out there. Was it the Aku Kum yep, part? exactly. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> oh, those jokes are always abound when we have our good friend Todd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that kind of happened, so... <laughs> I loved it. I love it too. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, fun. Hopefully, you folks out there listened with headphones on. <laughs> That's not really uh, NSFW. Yeah, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Which is strange considering some of the other stuff we talked about on the show. I know it's not really any any less like profane than anything we've done before. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> It just had some really fun jokes I just had to make. Yeah, yeah, you did it. Good job. I mean, how could we not? How could we not? Especially that bit with Baku. It's like, you look at it and it's like, come on. Come on. It's right, right there. there. Yeah, it's, it's right amazing. there, staring and winking at you. I gotta you. improv it a little bit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but uh, not only am I back at the head of the table, acknowledge me, but we're also back to covering our bread and butter. That being, what else? Anime, baby. And boy, no, baby, 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 baby. And boy, do we got an anime for y'all today. We're taking a look at a major series that lays within the hallowed halls of Toonami history and one that pretty much changed the game for anime outside of Japan. I'm, of course, referring to Space Dandy, baby. Woo! Space Good. Dandy. Yes. Oh, I've been waiting a long time for this one. I remember back in the early, early days, you know, back in 2018 when this podcast was just a twinkle in my eye. One of the episodes I always had written down for whenever we were going to do it, we were 100% going to do it. I had Space Dandy on my short list of shows we're going to get to. Naturally, of Absolutely. course. It is more than worthy of that position. 
And I feel a show that kind of helped shape me as the anime fan that I am today when it comes to me actually watching anime and consuming it, you know, season to season, week to week. Well, it was a real mm. event when it first came it out. It really was. I feel like it's like... God, could this have been like the last truly event anime that just everyone got into? Yeah, I kind of feel like it might be that that might be the case. Like, I also think a big reason for that was it being on Toonami. Yes. And like the cable bundle and like people having cable more back then instead of streaming. Yeah, because like that around that time, Nielsen ratings would track cable boxes more so than like streaming boxes. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was right on the cusp of that, like, big moment of change for the uh, industry at that time. Yeah, and also the change for Toonami as well, because the previous year, 2013, that's when Toonami got its, like, new look and everything, and it started to bring its new identity to, like, the Adult Swim era. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel this really solidified, you know, Toonami is a major player in the anime world, and, like, you need to get your shows on this block to reach a wider audience. I also mm -hmm. think the advertising around it was also just really good, because it was promoting this. It was promoting itself as a new series from Shinichiro Watanabe, and it's going to have all of these different directors and writers on board. Like, we're putting out all the stops to put this together, and you should all be there to enjoy it. And I, and I think it did hook a lot of people in. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and I remember getting a lot of mainstream coverage at the time. Because, I mean, Bebop was just this gigantic hit. So, obviously, you had a bunch of, like, general purpose kind of sites write about it. I remember seeing, like, I think, like, The Verge had stuff on it. New York Times did. Like, AV Club definitely covered it. And I think I remember someone saying that they saw an advert on ESPN once <laughs> in a bar. I could see that, honestly, you know, in, in the middle of watching Sports Center, you see, like, a 30-second bumper of uh, Space Dandy coming to Toonami. Yeah. And you just see, like, the weirdest alien shit you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is an episode that's going to be so big, we're going to have to split it up into two parts. We need to for this. This is, yeah, this is it's, too much it's to gonna be a, It's going to be a marathon, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so if you, you out there are sad we're not doing another five-and-a-half-hour marathon, you know, just... You know, when part two comes out, just listen to both of them back to back and you'll be fine. Yep. But yeah, for the first time ever since we did uh, Darling in the Franks, that we're doing a two-parter here. But, really? Uh, it's been that long? Yeah. Doesn't feel yeah. like that. Yeah. But uh, unlike Darling, this is the one, this is one that we will all universally love instead of one that only I love for, for wow, bullshit spoiler. reasons. Oh yeah, we're, we're all in like, a, a, we're all in agreement here that Space Dandy rocks. Yes. <laughs> yep. this, is a, this is a cool This anime. is going to be a love fest. Yes. I'm and, just saying. And we're going to tell you people at home, like, why we love it and why you should love it if you don't love it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel the series may have fallen under the radar in recent years, and I and I want to change that. I really want to change that. Well, it's because, well, yeah, but it's because there's such, like, quick turnaround for anime these days, and mm -hmm. whenever it's, like, out there in, like, the, uh, the the sphere of what people are talking about, then, like, yeah, it's it's not, like, it's, un unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of oldies, like, now that we're going to be, like, bringing up in the future yeah. that are just going to, like, go by the wayside, you know? And, and yet I well, see, like, kids these days still discovering fucking Naruto and Death Note. <laughs> and I'm like, really? You can't make any room for Space Dandy? I have a co-worker at work who told me he's been watching anime, and I go, oh, what are you watching? And he goes, Death Note. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, if you can watch that, you can watch this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Some things never go out of style. Not no, really. surprisingly they don't. Nah. Even for all the shit we gave Naruto in its later days, it still finds new audiences. Yeah, Kind of hooked me later in years when I kind of accepted it for what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but before we chat about the Danny guy in space, uh, 
I think we recently went to a con of some sorts back in uh, late July, early August, didn't we? Yes, we should. Uh, we? We, sh- we should do this little bit of cleanup here. Yeah, a little bit of housekeeping. As uh, let's give a quickie recap of Oticon 2022. Oh my god! First time for both you and me, Ryan. Yeah, we went for, to Oticon. Yeah, we f- we finally did Oticon this year, and it yeah. was we had a really good time out there. Yeah. Any any highlights for you guys that you want to kind of go through here i mean the big one for me was just meeting tons of new people out there yes that's always the best part of otakon yes like finally meeting people that i have had conversations and interactions on like twitter and line chat for god what since 2014 now and finally hanging out with them seeing actual people in front of me and actually getting to talk to them yes shout out shout out to ruby like you were great to meet you were awesome everyone loves ruby yep (laughs) Corey, great to see you again since 2016, ROH show. Evan, yeah. good good to meet you Evan as well. Corey's mm-hmm. wife Dana, she was awesome too. Also Chris Kirby, he's great. Yep, Bamboo, you were great to meet with. Ellen, you're great too. Mike Tool, was great. Great Always finally good. meeting you as well yep. since I hear everyone talk about you. <laughs> yeah, shout out to everyone out there. You were all great to meet with. Yeah, and for me in particular, uh, Saturday of that con was awesome because I pretty much spent the entire day with uh, Ruby, Corey, Dana, and Chris. And like, it was great. Hung out most of the day, went to an Ethiopian restaurant, got to eat Ethiopian food for the uh-huh. first time. Lucky. And I was in cosplay the entire day. Like, I wore my uh, Coconut Fuwa Delicious Party Pretty Good cosplay the entire day Saturday. It was uh-huh. great. Yeah, the only cosplay I brought out there was my Rasputin cosplay. Because that's <laughs> I, that was a that was a very crowded convention center, and it got pretty hot in there. And you got recognized. Yeah, and I did get recognized yeah. by some people. That's good. There was one really cool uh, photographer that I that I talked with for about like five minutes or so about uh, Psychonauts too. So hey, it was yeah, I was the I was one of the only Psychonauts cosplayers out there. Although there was supposedly a Sasha and Mia cosplayer, but I never found him. Like a needle in a haystack, I just could not find them. Yeah, hard to find a specific thing in a crowd of forty thousand or whatever. Oh yeah. That was another thing. Crowds were insane. My God. For a bit, but like, they, they did sort of like, they did spread out after a they while. They figured it out after a while. Yeah, they, yeah, that that's like the biggest universal complaint about that con was the line situation. Especially that Saturday when, when they just had like an influx of day one passes. Yeah, uh, yeah that crazy. was rough. That was rough. Because like that, that, that line in front of the convention center was just endlessly snaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it looked like you would just never be able to get inside. And yeah. I got lucky somehow where I just happened to stand in the right spot where it kind of snaked to the point where I was only in line for maybe like 30 minutes. I was... I, I was blown away when you said you got in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lucky bastard. Like, wait, what? <laughs> How? And I also didn't do bag check because I just kind of walked in and no one said anything. Then again, I had a little bag, so it's like, what am I going to bring in? That's dangerous. But no, that was great too. And also I uh, brought in another cosplay. I finally redid my uh, Marin Kitsugawa from my Dress Up Darling cosplay. Though I did one of her more casual outfits from the series, which means I finally got to work in a hawaiian shirt into my cosplay rotation yeah that was good yeah that, that was, was good. good you becoming a hawaiian guy yep. yep you do you do rock the hawaiian shirts very well yeah mm-hmm. i've been rocking them since the vegas trip you know because you know vegas happy corbin in wwe wears hawaiian shirts he won money in vegas and i thought i'll be happy corbin happy mikey and it just kind of stuck it just did yeah and hey we did treat you recently when we got when uh, both me and tony got you that uh sonic hawaiian yes i got yes. a sonic hawaiian t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> it it's rules. amazing i love it uh but uh, also some other stuff that was great too like uh, a lot of drinking partying and maybe smoking a little uh 
brass a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was also great. I, I will second all of that. No, sampled some very nice beers. I liked the uh, setup we had for that little room party where everyone just could just like pour a small amount, you know, and we all paced ourselves quite well. Yeah, uh-huh. I enjoyed that quite a bit. It also it was also a good space to. You know, chat with people and network a little bit. As far as others' highlights go, I finally went to a discotheque panel. Yep. That was really good. Mm -hmm. Got some good announcements out of that. Uh, But uh, no Sonic announcement, though. We did get Sherlock Hound, though. We did get that. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, no Sonic, so 4 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) What can you do? (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't there for that, though. You were at uh, the weekend. I was at the weekend. That was worth that was worth ditching Otakon for for at, a little bit at the uh, Dance Nighter Commanders Dumpster Sewer Stadium. Hey, that's pretty sweet can, though. Can confirm it was a dumpster. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, you didn't you didn't have a sewage pipe break over you. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. I didn't see anything like that happen either, which is good. Yeah, good. It <laughs> held its it held its ground at least for the few hours we were there. Yeah. Though, uh, speaking of stadiums, I actually went to the uh, Washington Nationals ballpark with uh, Corey and uh, another friend, Joe, and we watched a uh, Nats game. Yeah, oh. You had some very good fun seeing some baseball out there. Because, again, because again, Washington, D.C., never been there before. Yep. Yep. And, you know, Nats may suck shit, but their ballpark is amazing. I had a great time there. That's good, at least. <laughs> and also, like, uh, another thing that happened, kind of cosplay related, is uh, I did go to one photo shoot, and it was the Spy Family photo shoot. And it was packed. Holy shit. One of the hottest anime out there right now. Of course, it's going to be packed. But that means we had tons of great cosplayers from, like, all the characters in the series. You know, Lloyd, Anya, Yor, just everyone. And just, yeah, mainly those three, I'm sure. And we even had uh, baby Anya, like a little baby dressed up as Anya. She was adorable. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's really cool. It's it's really nice to get the kids in on those ones. Because, of course, you want, like, a little kid Anya. For Mm -hmm. sure. And also some of the panels, uh, JP Sound of Anime panel. That was great. That was really good. Yep, really good to have, really good to see that as well. I uh, got to see uh, Daryl's uh, uh, previous years in the anime panel as well. Yeah, I yeah, got to see uh, Daryl's rap panel for the first time. And uh, Evan Minto's uh, Azuki manga panel, got to see that. We'll learn all about that manga app and like it's on. It's honestly kind of one I, I would actually like to check out. You know, yeah, really good work, man. Yeah, really good work there. Mm-hmm. Keep it up. And also some of the uh, the bigger guests, uh, one of which is Studio Orange, who did a previous Anime Baby episode, Beastars. Mm. Oh, yes, they did. And they r- kind of ran us through how they do their animation, you know, how they kind of, they do the mocap, but then they, like, take the animation from the mocap and just kind of tweak it a little bit, cut out some frames there, exaggerate certain frames to kind of make it a lot more animated than it is in a lot less, you know, Uncanny Valley. Mm-hmm. Really cool to see them out there. And of course, we also had um, some studio trigger talent out yeah, there as the well. Tri- yeah, the trigger drawing panel was really fun with uh, Yoshinari drawing uh, drawing Anya, or what am I trying to say? Anya. Akko from Little Witch Academia. And uh, she got a gun because she was dressed up as a... Uh, as one of the characters from the Blade Runner anime they're uh, working cyberpunk on. Cyberpunk anime. Yep. Yeah, Cyberpunk. My bad. And also there was the uh, Carolyn Tuesday panel with uh, director Motonobu Hori and uh, Selena Ahn, who does the uh, singing voice of Tuesday in the show, which was really great. And I, I did like how uh, Selena, she answered all of the questions in Japanese since, uh, you know, Hori, he speaks Japanese, like, almost exclusively, so she joined him so that he knows what she's talking about without having to use a translator. Mm-hmm. And also she said that she's learning Japanese, she lives in Japan, so that she wants to just keep that up, you know? 
Mm, good to see. That's cool. And even better, at the end of the panel, she led the crowd in singing the Carolyn Tuesday theme song. That's Aww. fun. You know, just the chorus, the kiss me before the sunrise. That's sweet. Like, that was really good. That was really good. <laughs> yep. Nice job. I think the one unique I, unique one I went to, if only because I can't really think of too many other people. I don't recall too many of the other people who went to it, was the uh, uh, Kaiji dub premiere. Oh, uh, you... You lucky got into that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think maybe like one or two of our other friends got to see that as well. But like that was the, that was a big one for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they I showed hope the first two. Yeah, they showed the first two episodes of the Kaiji dub, and they also announced that um, the uh, the first arc, which will be around like nine episodes, will be appearing on H- uh, High Dive eventually. But that that one was actually really nice to see. <laughs> like I think that double like because again like they're using the same uh, dub team from the uh, Tonegawa series. Good. So good. that was a good dub. I, I I'm sorry, but for the life of me right now, I cannot recall who's voicing Kaiji though. No, just did he sound like any other characters you may have heard? Ah, <sighs> fuck, dude. I'm sorry, okay. but like I can't recall. <laughs> and I'm guessing like uh, when they showed the credits of the episode, it was still Japanese credits. I'm assuming. I don't even recall seeing that. <laughs> My memory is just like yeah. betraying me on that. <laughs> All I know is just what I heard, and what I heard was very good. That's uh, like, good uh, that would probably make sense because I remember years ago I went to uh, when we went to Anime Detour and they did the dub premiere of Attack on Titan. They didn't show the credits in English, so. We would have to wait until weeks later to find out who's who. Yeah, I'm sorry, I wasn't being very professional at that one. I was just like, "Oh, new Kaiji dub!" Like, let me nice. let me just let my lizard brain go wild on this. But uh, you did say you recognize one person, the narrator, right? Yeah, yeah, the narrator. Yep, David Wall. David Wall. Yeah, he's still back. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> like every every dub actor you heard from the the t- Mr. Tonegawa like middle management blues dub. Like, they're all back for this one. Okay, good. Yeah, A&N does not have a cast listed right now. Okay, so I'm guessing Sentai will probably do, like, their own cast reveal when the day comes for them to upload those episodes to High Dive. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not as good at, like, identifying uh, voice actors off the cuff like you are, Mike. Right. (laughs) But, uh, no, it it was actually, it was quite fun. I really liked to see, I really liked what they were able to show, and I really and I really like Kaiji's official actor. He's really damn good portraying good. The character. Really good at portraying those like high moments where like he's like in full strategy mode and you know calculating how to control a gamble or like how to win it. And also, I trust that he'll be very good at uh, portraying those low moments when he's just like <laughs> a pathetic set sack uh-huh. and is just totally defeated. I am so damn glad I I didn't buy the Blu-ray yet. <laughs> It's like, you gotta wait. They dubbed Tonegawa, and then they dubbed Kaiji. I was gonna buy it when it came out, but I'm like, I just never got around to it. And then I saw, like, they posted, like, a teaser or something, the like, a while ago on one of the Sentai accounts with, like, a Kaiji dub thing on, the, on a whiteboard or something. So that was cool to see. And then the, as far as the other unique thing goes is that I got I did finally get to see uh, the Smithsonian's art gallery as well. Ah, uh, nice. Because uh, I didn't, well, we didn't, well, it was, it was, I think it was around like the last day or something or getting close to there. Uh, we, we didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of time to see some of the other stuff because like we, we did get to see the monuments out there. Yeah, we did yep, do kind on, of a quick tour. On like a blistering hot day with no cloud in the sky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Human-ass fucking felt like, felt like was, an oven. It was pretty sweltering out That's there. That's one thing about DC. That place is hot and humid-ass shit. I made the rookie mistake of not bringing sunscreen or not even wearing the hat that I brought with my 
Marine cosplay that day. Yep, you should have. I, I, I at least had some sunscreen, but I was burned to hell. I was days. roasted after that day. I, yeah. I didn't get. I don't. I don't think. I was not too badly burned out of that, but like it was still like just an uncomfortable time. Out I there. mean, thankfully, I have a bit of a base tan because I work outside normally in the summer. So that yeah, helped. I it helps me too because I do walk outside a lot. Yeah, we did get to see, like, all the regular monuments. I, I at least got to see the Vietnam Memorial, which was one of the big ones I wanted to get mm-hmm. to. Because I read about that one back in, like, art history classes. Oh, yeah, college. like, that's, that that's like, one of the monuments that kind of made you just kind of, you kind of felt a lot more emotion because of that one, mm-hmm. because of, like, the context of the Vietnam War. Right, right. We were certainly, you know, taking the time to take that one in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was like, I was like rereading the critique I like from Arthur Danto that I <laughs> read back in college, <laughs> just to kind of like get, just to like revive some of that context a little bit for it. <laughs> but no, the, the the Smithsonian Art Gallery was the big one I really wanted to go to outside of that, and I was very glad I finally got to do that. Uh, got to see a lot of really good outsider art from that. Uh, that's also the gallery where they have all of the um, uh, presidential portraits as well. So those were all very cool to see. Got to see some like unfinished paintings too, which were really fascinating. That's fun. And yeah, they got a portrait for every president out there. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they got one for Trump as well. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I assume that portrait gets a lot of people every day just kind of waving the middle <laughs> finger in front of them. I mean, no, not really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> people were just kind of tactfully kinda, avoiding that be one. Be kind of tacky. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of like not look at them. Just... Yeah, I mean, some had some comments to say, but it was more just them trying to, re- like, they're just reconciling. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, they were just standing there being like, how do I reconcile my feelings of this moment? Yeah. Knowing that, that knowing that this portrait now has to be stuck in this gallery from now until the end of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we also get hey, that, that George Washington painting, though, that was pretty nice. Oh, see. yeah, the classic George Washington oh, portrait. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, I, I was most blown away by the Henry Darger uh, uh, tapestries they had down there. Uh, and of course, the uh, big one that they had down there—the the big one I really wanted to see, which was the throne of James Hampton, Hampton, which is truly one of the most incredible art pieces I've ever seen. Like it's it's a gorgeous piece of outsider art, as it's just this massive altar to God with like crowns and like a tabernacle everywhere and like a throne-like seat that was all just made out of tinfoil and cardboard and glass and it was all just found in this guy's uh storage unit like after he died <laughs> that's cool it was only it was only shown to some people while he was still alive that were really close to him i mean truly an incredible piece you got to see it in person oh wow so I, I was very happy with finally managing to see that because it's one of the most daunting and most like awe-inspiring art pieces i've ever been in the presence of nice very cool. And of course with like monuments, like we did see, you know, Reflecting Pool, Washington Monument, uh, Lincoln Memorial. And we also uh, pulled a Lisa Simpson and got to visit the Jefferson Memorial too. <laughs> uh-huh. Lisa yeah. Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he complained in that episode about not having people visit there, but it was pretty crowded that day, so he got a lot of visitors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine you would have been complaining that day about all the construction that was around it. That oh, is true. Yeah. Like the entire back half was like completely closed off, so we had to walk around to the front to get up there. Mm-hmm. And also all those steps don't have railings because I guess railings are un-American, so we've got to be careful and walk yeah, the steps. Yeah, that sucked for anyone who might have had disabilities. Right. You can see yeah. that more, yeah. <laughs> but no, those were good too. And also like some of the uh, other stuff within DC, you know, like their Chinatown and also uh, Ben's Chili Bowl. 
Like the uh, original one? Uh, yeah, we got to go to the original Ben's Chili Bowl. They, very they, good stuff. They serve some really good smokes out there. Oh mm-hmm. my god, their smokes and chili were just well, perfection. On. I finally got to see what the whole big deal was around Nando's, because everyone yep, talked about yep. that. Nando's is very <laughs> we good. We got Nando's, and I got my order before everyone else, so I was just kind of sitting there just waiting yeah, for everyone to finish. You were like way early. I don't know how I got that early. Yeah, I, I kept wondering that as well. <laughs> no, they serve pretty damn fine chicken out there, I gotta say. Oh my god, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Will Ospreay may be a dickhead, but he has good taste in chicken. Yeah, very good chicken there. And that coffee and gelato pit place, you, Tony, recommended to us. That yeah. was really good as well. Oh, yeah, Dolce Gelato. I always go there. Mostly because it's kind of out of the way from the convention center. That is true. That is true. So the lines are never too long. Yeah, because like the entrance is kind of down like almost a little bit of an alleyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was still pretty good. And uh, I would say for me, my biggest highlight of the weekend out of everything I did... It would have to be from me watching Precure with Ruby. Like, that was not cool. only getting to meet her because I've been wanting to meet her for ages, but like, and I'm glad I did. But like, watching Precure with her was a lot of fun. Like, we watched the uh, the newest episode of Delicious Party that the previous week's episode, and I even showed episode 29 of Tropical Rouge, which I think is like one of the best episodes of Precure in general. And it wasn't that just was you and her either. We actually got like a big group of friends overall just watching it all together. Yeah, that yeah, was we also were, fun. We were asking questions, like... you know. And it me and Ruby fun. just having to explain things, and also you guys kind of being blown away by some things, about like the animation, being charmed by some of the uh, quirkier moments, the villains and stuff. And you even all got to acknowledge the greatness that is Kururun. <laughs> yeah, acknowledge Kururun. You know, you know, they're the head I mean, of I knew the how great Kururun was before that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was a lot of fun, Like especially considering I credit Ruby with getting me interested in Precure in the first place, so getting to watch with her was just like unbelievably good. I had a all of a time, you know, real five star Bobby Dazzler moment. <laughs> but yeah, overall, Otakon, that was a real fun convention. You know, another great thing is just the overall feel of this con. Like, the second biggest con we've probably been to was ASEN back in 2018, but I feel this weekend blew that weekend out of the water. I mean, arguably, it was probably the biggest convention we've ever been to. Yeah. I think, I think it was probably officially. Yeah, they broke records for attendance that weekend. Yeah, they were not ready for the amount of uh, people that, that came. No, no. But they did play it quite safe, though. They were actually very nice with their uh, COVID restrictions out there. Yep. Vax that mandate really and uh, mask mandate. And I would say about 99% compliance. Yeah, it was Yeah, everyone was really impressive. good about adhering to those rules. Yeah, no complaints whatsoever. No shitheads trying to argue the rules. Like, everyone was pretty chill about it. Yeah, at least that I saw. Yeah, as far as I know. I mean, we sure enough, we tested afterwards, and we didn't get COVID. Yep. Mm-hmm. Almost as if masks and vaccines work. You know, maybe there's some shrug, kind of science to this shrug, thing. Shrug my shoulders, <laughs> yeah. maybe. You know, something maybe. to it. You know, I, I did my own research, and I felt like, oh, God, this thing kind of works, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I did come out of it with a nice shirt as well, and a giant robo animation yes. DVD. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I got myself a... Uh, Limited edition, one drink priority Blu-ray. Blue got some uh, Precure merch, too. I got a little uh, Pam Pam plush, too. And also got uh, Cure Sparkle and Cure Fontaine to go with my Cure Grace, <laughs> which is on my shelf right now as I look at it. I spent a lot of money at the discotheque booth, but I don't remember what all I bought. <laughs> as typical for me. A lot of old classics, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. Going on OVA, got that too, nice. which that's is amazing. Yeah, that's that's a pretty incredible yeah. I gotta get the I got to get the other loop on OVAs, too. For sure. The other cocaine ones, they're all good. But yeah, this was a fun weekend, and uh, barring catastrophe, you know, knock on wood, 
I will be back next year. I want to be back next year. Yeah, yeah I kind of would like back. to go next year as well. I would kind of like to make this my second con of the year after Detour as kind of a yearly thing. It's become that for me. It really has. Yeah, I feel through hell or high water, I will be there. Yeah, as much as I like spacing cons out in like the spring and fall, like I, Otacon, I had enough fun there to where like I want to make like I want to budget next year for that again. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember that was uh, worth it. I remember a couple like three years ago we tried to make GalaxyCon Minneapolis that, but that got canned after one year. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that's a traveling convention, though. Like, wouldn't it be natural if it didn't come back for a year? I mean, they were planning to, but then uh, 2020 happened. Yeah, it's like, whatever. Like, we, we still got around to it, so we, that wasn't bad. We can say you went to the first and only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only one. <laughs> I mean, there's always... <laughs> there's always Minneapolis. There's, there's always... No, there's no. always... We, we, we made that mistake three oh, times before, Lord. and we're not going to make that again. No, 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 no. Like, we learned our lesson from never going to, to those cons again. Fusion's supposed to be good. I hear Fusion's good. I understand, good. but it's always at a really busy time of the year for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, we also know people who go to Convergence as well. Yep, that too. That's fun, but I hear that's fun. I hear that I still gotta make it out there sometime. I feel that would be good for a cheap weekend. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I know Colossal Con is coming to Wisconsin Dells, which is going to be replacing DaishoCon yep. out there around that time since that went defunct. But uh, I'm going to be waiting for other friends to go there, which some are this year, and then to report back about how it is. <laughs> yeah. Wait and see, not only for the con situation, but for also the world situation, because a little thing called Omicron is still a thing, and could be a thing by the winter. Right, yeah, right. We'll so see. I'm going lis- to listen in to some friends who are going to go to that and report back about that, because that's going to be its first time out there, and uh, I'd rather not be out for like a convention's first time at anywhere. Have them work out the kinks first before Absolutely. Yeah, do that yep, first. Please. And then maybe I will consider going to that. But yeah, that was Otakon, baby. That was fun. Yeah, that was... Oh, a- yeah. Otakon was an absolute blast. Always a blast. We'll absolutely do it again. 10 on 10, we'll do again. Mm-hmm. But now... Speaking of 10 out of 10s... Yes. <laughs> so... Okay, a little thing here. Uh, as you all know, when we get to the little preamble bit, I usually say a little bit of the background, but I've been kind of thinking after a while, you know, after taking a break from it from the last episode, I kind of thought, you know what, enough is enough and time, it's time for a change. I feel like I'm going to retire a little bit of the background because I thought of something even better to set up our uh, preamble here. What's up? So, <clears throat> what you got? Who's ready for story time with anime, baby? Mmm, I like it. <laughs> I'm ready for story time. So, how long have you been a podcast? Since 2018. How have you not thought of this? Well, I mean, Adam Cole didn't start doing that until last year, so. God damn. But even then, (laughs) I should have thought of it sooner. (laughs) But yeah, that's going to be the new intro to the preamble from from now on. (laughs) Yep, I think that, I think you should do that. Anyways. I like it. So, story time. Space Dandy comes to us from the legendary Studio Bones, which needs no introduction, as uh, we've covered them many, many times before on this podcast. Plenty of times. Very, but very prolific. in short, Wolf's Reign, Erica Seven, Soul Eater, Orin Host Club, OG FMA, FMA Brotherhood, Best FMA, Don't at Me, Mob Psycho One Hundred, Noragami, and My Hero Academia. Mm-hmm. And the chief director is none other than the one and only Shinichiro Watanabe. See our Kids on the Slope and Carolyn Tuesday episodes from last year if you want a full background on him. But TLDR, Macross Plus, Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo, Kids on the Slope, Carolyn Tuesday, and much, much, much more. Oh yeah, he needs no introduction at this point. I feel yep. like even if you're someone who's only watched one anime, you know Watanabe. 
Absolutely. He, he's a household name. He is. He's like... He's, he's like kind of that fun uncle that gives us good, thought-provoking anime. <laughs> <laughs> but since we already talked about Watanabe, there is another person that we haven't talked about, and that's the general director of the series. So let's talk about Shingo Natsume. Yeah! Mm. Hell yeah! Born in 1980 in the Aomori Prefecture, Shingo Natsume began his career in 2003 and would start off as a key animator, animation director, and storyboarder for a ton of different projects. You know, such as, not limited to... Welcome to the NHK, Gurren Lagann, the Doraemon movies, and FMA Brotherhood. Again, best FMA, don't at me. <laughs> and in 2014, he would actually make his directorial debut with Space Dandy. Like, Great this is his big debut here. Woo, man, some fine pedigree here. Like, what a way to kick off your directing career in the anime world after working as, like, an animation director or storyboarder. It's a hell of a way to kick off. And also, like, after Dandy, he would go on to direct the only good season of One Punch Man up to this point. Yup. <laughs> Just one year later. <laughs> hey, that's still a good credit to have to your name. That is a good credit. Yeah, that first season ruled. And he also directed uh, Aka, A-C-C-A. I don't know how to pronounce that. I've never seen it. Aka, uh, I think so. Aka, 13 Territory Inspection Department. Boogie Pop and others. I'm sure you probably wouldn't be interested in that, Ryan. I mean, hey, if it's directed <laughs> by him, then, like, it's, pro- it's probably pretty good. Probably better than Boogie Pop and yeah. you. Maybe I might enjoy a little more. And also, just last year, he in 2021, he did Sunny Boy, which I hear is good. You know, it got nominated for Anime of the Year at the Crunchyroll Awards. Natsume got nominated for Director of the Year for that, but uh, haven't seen it. But here it's good. Yeah, and he's also going to be doing the upcoming Tatami Time Machine Blues. Ooh, which hopefully sweet. that's good. Yeah, and hopefully Disney doesn't uh, doesn't hold it back like they're doing with. Uh, what is it right now? I'm blanking on it. I know what you're talking about, and I'm blanking on it too, but it's the show that JP covered on the No Name Anime Podcast. Yup. Summertime Rendering. Summertime Rendering, yes. But yeah, Natsume, he is a very credited director, and like only really, like even starting in just 2014 as a director, and like still going strong to this day. Yeah, still made a, still a very good, still really proved his stuff like over this past decade. And hopefully, fingers crossed, he comes back for One Punch Man Season 3. <laughs> if they're smart, they will. God. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible at this point. I mean... I've seen little bits of One Punch Man Season 2. I really don't need to see that. <laughs> we watched the whole thing, and we talked about it on our Toonami uh, year in review back yeah, in 2020. And I remember you guys being like, this is such a letdown. It was just... How did you, how did you let that happen? Uh Trying to turn it around too fast, maybe? I guess, because I know he was working on a, another project at the time. As I've said before, they were always going to encounter problems with like the whole narrative around that time. Yeah. <laughs> Never Keep in mind that that Monster Association arc has lasted ten fucking years. Yeah. It only recently ended in <laughs> wow. the manga. Wowee, baby. <laughs> oh, man. It lasted that fucking long. That's a long time. You want to adapt that into an anime? Into 12 episodes? You could. You'd have to, like, cut... You'd have to trim the fat so hard on that. Yeah. So fucking hard. I mean, they definitely cut corners, but mostly in the animation department. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they're smart, yeah, they would bring back Shingo Natsume, but, like, I, he, even he's going to be facing an uphill battle with that. That is true. That is true. On to his first directorial work, Space Dandy, which would begin airing on January 4th, 2014. First airing on Toonami on Adult Swim 
before it aired in Japan. That was then, a big deal. That was a very big did deal. 12 hours beforehand. Yes. This series would be the first ever simuldub to air on Toonami and be produced by Funimation. Now Crunchyroll. Yep. Not the first simuldub in general. I know Viz had one at one point before this. I do not remember the name, but it was... <laughs> do you, you have it. I got it right here. So, for those of you at home, what was the first simuldub? It was a series called... Kurokami, the animation back in 2009. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I remember Justin Savakis talking about having to work on that. And it was a nightmare for them. And you know what channel this aired on? This aired on the channel Imagine Asian. Oh, hell. Ah. I remember seeing that. I remember Jesus seeing that scrolling Christ through my channel guide. I, that is one of the worst names I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> for a service. Fuck me, that was. I hope whoever thought of that got fired. I think it was. I think. I think that was like a premium thing that was on like an Asian tier on my cable thing. Uh, but yeah, like that was the first simul dove. But considering the fact that neither of you knew what it was, and I had to look it up, goes to show how popular it was. Yeah, didn't do great. But this is arguably the one to popularize it, or, or at least bring it more relevant. Yeah, because this, this was actually one of the series' biggest selling points, the fact that it was getting simul-dubbed, and we were getting it before it even aired in Japan. Because mm-hmm. around that time, back in 2014, God, that was not really that long ago when you really think about it, but still. Eight years. Mm, no. But around that time, when we wanted to see an anime dubbed, we would have to wait about a year or so for Blu-rays to come out to actually hear that dub. And actors would have to like sit on like their work that they've done for a year not even talk about it before they can actually talk about it but with dandy it's like week to week new actor comes in and says hey i'm in the show it's airing week to week watch it on tsunami mm-hmm. like it felt it probably felt like a breath of fresh air to them not having to like bottle that up in for like 12 months yeah it was a neat little experiment at the time and as we as we're now seeing today that's an experiment that did pay off with subsequent dubs yeah because oh, yeah. this is the norm in the anime in- industry here in the west nowadays and it can all be traced back to space dandy like it was pretty much not the first, but definitely the one that perfected it. And you mm-hmm. just don't wonder, like, how is it that, like, some people don't know, like, Space Dandy, though? It's weird, like... <laughs> like, it had that place in, his, in anime history. I think I got memory hold for some reason. Kind of did, but, uh, I don't know, maybe since, uh, the year 2014 was a kind of a stacked year for Tsunami. Like, that was also the year that the Attack on Titan dub came to Tsunami. Oh! And took yeah. the, uh, opener spot from Space Dandy during the summer. So maybe that kind of had something to do with it. But yeah, even I then, see that. But even then, like, looking at 2014 in Toonami, that was such a banger year because you got you got Dandy, you got Attack on Titan, and you also, like, later in the year, you got stuff like Helsing Ultimate and Gurren Lagann. Like, what oh, a whopper. Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Gurren, La- Gurren came to Toonami after first airing on Anna Mondays on Sci-Fi, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot about that. <laughs> but, like, we already talked about it before, but, like, the hype leading up to the show was just kind of... Insurmountable. Yeah, we. Yeah, I it, was it so does, goddamn pumped. For it this. does need to be brought up that there was a lot of hype for this anime for those who who were not there to experience it. Like not only a Watanabe anime, but Watanabe's first comedy focused anime. Because up until that point, it's been just mostly action or drama. Mm-hmm. And like before that, I think the old his last show before Dandy would have been Kids on the Slope. It was, wasn't it? I think so. I believe it was. Yeah. And also a major acquisition for Toonami as well. Like yeah. A major boost to their ratings and just like, you know, 
getting their name out there and also back out there and also Funimation not Crunchyroll because that was their first Watanabe anime they licensed because Bebop and Champloo they went to Bondi Entertainment when they came out I mean you couldn't ask for a better like boost to your like boost to mm-hmm. your service no no and like just everything just kind of aligned perfectly and I remember the month in the month of December leading up to that January was just every week we just get promos of of Space Dandy, like, while we were watching, like, movies on Toonami, it's just, like, Space Dandy is coming, Space Dandy is coming, like, holy yeah. shit. And again, not just Watanabe either, but, like, a whole cavalcade of animators they were going to get for this. Oh, yeah, a proverbial who's who of people within the anime industry. Yeah, I mean, some of them, some of, some of which were mainstays of Bones already, to mm-hmm. be sure, but still, but still you got, like, like, like actual avant-garde animators on it, yep. directing episodes, and writing. And we will like, get to those. And storyboarding. Like getting like just plain science fiction writers on the series. <laughs> like even someone. To write, to write these episodes. Someone who's never wrote an anime before getting to write an episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, speaking of the English dub, on that side of things, uh, working closely with the folks at Studio Bones, the dub was directed by the team of Joel McDonald and Zach Bolton with scripts written by the super team of Bonnie Klinkenbeard, Patrick Seitz, and the dynamic duo who are now 35 and 0 in court, Jamie Markey and Monica Rial. Though, uh, this is only just a small part of the team that worked week to week with the folks at Bones, you know, working with, like, unfinished animation to, like, do ADR recording and everything like that, just to, like, make sure this gets to TV each and every week, Saturday nights. Everybody was really pulling their best work on the series to try and deliver. Must have been a Herculean effort. And that was the first time, and now, like, nowadays, they do this every week. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. My hat goes off to them. Take a fucking boost on yeah, it looked like a whole lot of hard work, but man, it, it, it made for one really funny dub. <laughs> like, probably one of my favorite comedy dubs in oh, recent yeah. memory. It's very good. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is. Like, and it is act- truly a treat. Actors bringing out just such whopper performances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're excited to talk about it. I feel like we should get right into this now. <laughs> yeah. It's about time. It is about time. So, Summer of Toonami continues with Space Dandy Season 1. So without further ado, let's start the show, baby.
So, first things first we gotta talk about is the opening and the ending. The opening is Viva Namina or Goodbye Tears by Yasuyuki Okamura. And the ending is Exjigen E Yosaku or Welcome to the X Dimension by Etsuku Yakushimaru. Uh, what do you guys think of these songs here? Viva Namida is so funky. Isn't it? I love it. <laughs> Viva Namida slaps. It's a bop. It fucks. It bangs. It's a jam. It's everything. It's an all-time banger of an opening. Woo! Man, I want to karaoke this thing so badly. I really want to because, like, it's got, it's, it's been a hot minute since I watched Dandy before this, uh, watching for this podcast, but as soon as Viva Namida played, I was kind of, like, humming along with it. I remembered kind of, like, all the... Pretty much most of the words of that song, it was really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Can we talk about this guy for a second? Yes. Yes, this singer is he rocks. Can so I hard. talk about this guy yes, for please. a second? <laughs> okay, so he came up, he he had a he started in the eighties, actually. Uh, he was inspired by an eighties idol named Saiku Matsuda and Prince. He has only done two other Anime songs, Step Up from Blood Blackade, Blood Blackade Battlefront Beyond, and Supergirl in City Hunter 2 from 1988. Both are fucking jams. Look up the video for Supergirl on YouTube. If you've gone to any of my panels at Anime Detour, any music bento panels, I guarantee you I have played that one. That's the one where he is in the USA jacket uh, yeah. dancing around. <laughs> That's right. The It rules. And then while you're on YouTube, look up the full music video for Viva Namida. Uh, they did an entire animated music video for it. That's right. Animating him into the yep. into the video and playing with the it's characters. It's incredibly good. I do like the bits where like it goes to the chorus and he's kind of like doing little interactions with each of the member of the characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. This guy is a bit of an eccentric. <laughs> now, oh, that is an understatement. My God. This guy is wild. His career in the 2000s was nuts and I am amazed that it survived. Okay, so this guy got arrested in 2003 for possession of stimulants, which he said were medication, and he was dropped by Sony Music as a result, but later got signed by Universal. Then in 2005, he was caught doing coke in a toilet stall <laughs> in a Shibuya Tower Records and sentenced to two years in prison. Oh my god. Oh yeah, knowing how much like knowing how much the government over there just fucking hates drugs mm -hmm. of any kind. <laughs> but wait, that's not all. In 2008, he was arrested for possession of crystal meth and sentenced to another two years in prison. <laughs> no joke. Oh my god. Look it up. It's real. His music rules. What? He, he just loves his drugs. Mm hmm Who doesn't? I don't know. I think he might. I think he's sober now, but wild, <laughs> wild period in the 2000s. Some, some people need a little him. caffeine in their lives. What does it matter if he needs a little crystal meth in his life? You know, just like him or like that actor who was in the Yakuza game who got cut. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Except this guy survived. Ooh, this and guy. is thriving. Ooh, man. He, he, he hits it hard, man. His music is really good, though. My God! Oh my God! Like, I saw him. I, I saw the video of him performing "Viva Namida" live, and he's he performs it just as well live as he as it as he does recorded. And he's like doing like the dance moves and everything. Like mm -hmm. the dude is like just he's full of life, man. <laughs> and he's got to portray that through dance and music. And like the actual opening itself, like the animation is just. Really, really good. Like it'll sell you on this show. It is. Oh, it is sharp. It is yeah. angular. It's got colors everywhere. It's like all the different poses and the actions that get over our characters that we will see in the series. And like, I love how it ends with our main cast kind of doing a bit of a Charlie's Angels pose uh -huh. too. 
Unless you were watching the first few weeks on Adult Swim. That's right, because we didn't get this opening on the Toonami broadcast until episode 8 because of uh, licensing issues. So until then, we kind of got like an, an original opening that just uses an instrumental from the series for like 30 seconds while you play clips from the show. They had to keep heating up that uh, that, that intro in the microwave because it's kept having that cold center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about Ken? She ain't done yet. Nope. Though, like, uh, with the ending, we actually never got the ending on the Toonami podcast. That's a shame because the ending is also is actually, like, surprisingly chill for the series. It's very good and also, like, I love how fast-paced the lyrics are, too. Like, it's almost as if the singer Etsuko is actually rapping the song right mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and it said that Yoko Kano arranged the ending song. I mean, of course, because she's a frequent collaborator with mm-hmm. Watanabe. I don't think she did much other stuff in this series, but she definitely did. She definitely helped with the ending. Oh, Simplistic yeah. artwork and like cool blues, and you've got all the equa- all the alien equations going around everywhere, and the characters just kind of, you know, just vibing with the whole moonwalking too. Whole surreal environment they find themselves in. It's it's quite a nice ending. They kind of have like a bit of a almost Hello Kitty chibi like look to them. Too. They do, yeah. <laughs> But uh, thankfully, we do have this so- this uh, ending song, and also many other many other ending songs in, se- in season two we'll on get our uh, Blu-ray mm-hmm. right here. But uh, that's not the only opening we get. As a kickoff, we get some uh, helpful info from our narrator, played by R. Bruce Elliott, telling us all about Space Dandy. He's a dandy guy in space. <laughs> Space Dandy is a dandy guy in space. He combs the galaxy like his pompadour on the hunt for aliens. Planet after planet he searches, discovering bizarre new creatures both friendly and not. These are the spectacular adventures of Space Dandy and his brave space crew in space. Yep. Doesn't get any simpler than that. That's really the promise. For our first episode, Live with the Flow, Baby, directed by Shingo Natsume and written by Shinichiro Watanabe. Yep. And yes, I will be going through every episode title and all in director and writer for each episode. I feel like this is like the one series where it's kind of really important to look into some of that stuff. It was a big selling point, you know, getting all these different directors. Yeah, because like... The trying, way... to, trying to vary it up as much as they could. Because I remember like the way it was described like in some of like the pre-release hype was like... Like, like Watanabe was saying it would be like an animator's playhouse and like Mushroom Samba every day. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good comparison. <laughs> it really is. It kind of it some some episodes definitely a lot of the episodes definitely do feel like that. Like you are just getting a cavalcade of like uh, different animators and their personal tastes and like their humors and like they're all just having a really good time playing around into this playground that is space and a dandy guy in space. Like you're allowed to do pretty much 
whatever you want as long as you have like a new alien character every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they and they follow or that, a new premise. They or follow that premise. edict uh, pretty well, I'd say, pretty close to what they said in the advertising. And uh, back to the narrator, I loved hearing uh, R. Bruce Elliott as the narrator for the dub because, especially since he was also the narrator for the dub of Sergeant Frog, which was a show that I was really big into at the oh, time. Oh shit, nice. And uh, which is probably how he got the gig because Joel McDonald also directed that dub too, so he mm. knows him from that and thought, oh, this guy's got a funny older man voice. It would be really funny to hear him bounce off the characters and just explain the plot of the show as like straight as possible. It's a cheeky, funny narrator that he's playing oh, yeah. to that's observing ridiculous events. And also the artwork for like this opening little, uh, this little cold opening here where it kind of takes like inspiration from like old sci-fi movie posters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole aesthetic of the show does take a bit of inspiration from those old serials. After our banger OP, we are introduced to our hero, the one and only Space Dandy, played here by Ian Sinclair, who does a bang-up job. He's fucking ex- great casting. Is, My God. He is Space Dandy. No 100%. One else. Like, I feel this is like, like he's done, he's, he did a lot of roles beforehand, but I feel like this is the one that got people really talking about him as an actor. Like, he's just so good. Because the, the role demands quite a lot of range, and he, he was the right man for the job. Absolutely. We'll come over Dandy more, like his pompadour, as the series goes on, but to oh, start... Yeah. I do love his design, Space Dandy. Like, the look, the jacket, the metal boots, the big pompadour. Just, mm, it's so good. Looks like classic, like, trying to be cool guy from the 60s. Yeah. It rules. He's like a big, yeah, he's like a space Yankee. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> he really is. Got the big pompadour. He's got that, like, jacket. He's got that sick jacket with the star in the back. The weird spider the weird spider legs coming off the back of his head. And he knows how to strike uh, good, good, memorable poses in, like, the whole ensemble as well. <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> he just rocks the style. And also I love that the first thing our brave space hero does to give us, he, like, he just starts giving out about people who only focus on boobs, whereas true connoisseurs know, know the real show is down below. The booty, baby. <laughs> That's literally the first thing we learn about Space Dandy. <laughs> is, is that, that he loves a, himself some TNA. A, yeah, he loves himself some ass, which, that's good. Except later on, he contradicts himself. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he's an ass man, not an ass boy like Austin Colton. Yep. <laughs> and he's telling all of this to his cute robot vacuum cleaner sidekick, aptly named QT, played here by uh, someone who just loves Capital Insurrections. <laughs> oh, no, wait, what? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you forgot about this? Uh, we mentioned this in our uh, Miss Kobayashi Season 2 episode. Oh, but, wait. Uh, she's, she's that? Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, like... Uh, we gotta get this out of the way. Yeah, so, like, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll say her name. Allison Victorian, she got, got a lot of heat for... Uh, Talk for loving the Capitol insurrection as it happened on Twitter. <laughs> you know, she wasn't there, but she wished she could have been there with, with like, you know, Chris Jericho's wife and uh, Jimmy Pesto. And <laughs> Jimmy Pesto. She just had to, and, well, uh, she just had to burn an aerial pig. Like, of course. <laughs> yep. And everyone, including her colleagues, peers, and fans online, rightfully burned her for that one, told her, like, hey, you're full of shit, idiot. <laughs> so she deleted her Twitter account and probably retired from acting. <laughs> oh, wow. As you do. I remember <laughs> you guys like saying that. that, but I didn't realize that was her. Yep, we talked about this on our Miss Kobayashi Season 2 episode, which is why her character showed uh, got replaced by a, a different actor who is not a shithead. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then the one thing I have to say about QT, though, is that the one criticism I have of this dub, and I've always had it, 
I don't like the use of autotune on QT. I really don't. I kind of like it. I feel it kind of works with like the character. I think it's endearing. It's, it's endearing. It's fine, but it's just not my thing, is all. Because okay. you, a music connoisseur, it just sounds... have been burned by autotune. No, 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 no. I don't mind autotune. It okay. just, it's just in the use of, in the context of this series, like it just kind of feels dated. Mm, I mean, I could, I could see that. I guess, I guess. But it's just something that I've always felt about. Because at the time, yeah, it, it was a bit of a, it was a, a bit of the cool thing at that time to harp on autotune. Yeah, and, yeah, and plus it. it, and plus that wasn't really in the Japanese. But I don't want to be one of those guys that's like huffy, huffy about changes and stuff, you know? Right, right. But yeah, you know, uh, shithead VAs aside, uh, I do like QT. Like they, it's have a, a good performance. Yep, good performance and the design of QT. Like they are incredibly cute for like a little. I love QT. Ah, adorable. <laughs> You know, their full name should be QT Pie. Mm-hmm. It should work like that. Yeah, very adorable design. And just also very low-tech. That's a bit of a recurring gag with QT. Oh, yeah. That, uh, they're, they're very low-tech compared to other robots in this universe. And, like, out of all the characters in the show, the probably the most straightforward thinker out of everyone. Absolutely. Still, du- still technically dumber, dumb, as, dumb like the other cast members, but knows how to keep a situation together. Exactly. Knows where the focus needs to be. And uh, these two fly across space in their ship called the Aloha Oi. And I love the design of this ship, too. It's a great ship. And it was designed by, who else? Thomas Romaine. Yes, yeah. Thomas Romaine. <laughs> the Code Lyoko guy. He, does, that, he was the ship designer for the series. That dude does, that dude does a lot of stuff in anime. He really does. As they just shittily sing the Code Lyoko theme song. Oh, that's your show. I mean, I, I, well, I say that, but I haven't like rewatched it once since like back in those Maguzi days. No, I got to bring that up. He's a really cool. He's a really cool character designer. He's a cool creator. And yes, he was tapped to design uh, most, if not all, of the uh, spaceships in the series. And I love the design of the Aloha Oi. I love it, too. It's, like, up there with ship designs, like, you know, the Outlaw Star or the Bebop, too. Like, it's really good. I love the the Hula Girl paint job on the side of the ship. I love the inside, too, where, like, for no reason there are coconut trees in the middle of the ship. You know what? It sets the ambiance on the inside. It's great. I love it. But, like, they never acknowledge it, and also the fact that, you know, it's it's on, like, a higher level above, like, their little living room space, and, like, below the trees, there's, like, a little sign that says, watch for falling coconuts. I think, uh-huh. it's, per- I think it's perfect. It's, I love it. It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. The it sets the whole Hawaiian just, vibe of the uh, ship really beautiful. well. And I love how the cockpit is, like, very low-tech with, like, kind of almost bicycle like, I love those handlebars with the little fringes on them. Yeah, the it's tassels. so cool. Yeah, it adds some nice little charm the whole thing like it's so it's so dandy it's so dandy and cheap and i love it and there's some other aspects of the ship that we'll get that we'll probably get to later on that yes. make it also very extra cool and uh this takes place within the far off future where in addition to humans the galaxy is loaded to the gills with aliens of all shapes and sizes and just like spike and cowboy bebop dandy is a bounty hunter who specializes but in hunting down aliens only here mm-hmm. having to register undiscovered aliens so he can get money and that's how he like makes his living throughout the series he's got to bring them in alive and get them registered and that's how he makes his uh woolongs. they're built yeah they're building up the national pokedex of uh aliens yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah, it is kind of it is sort of like an intergalactic pokedex in a way it really yeah. is <laughs> 
But like some some will net you like somewhere around like a hundred million wulongs, but some aliens will only net, net you around like fifty wulongs. Uh huh. About nothing. <laughs> yeah. And also he he's dandy. He's kind of bumbling at his job at times too. Oh yeah. Like sometimes he'll be good at it, but other times he just kind of kind of, he just kind of falls flat on his face too, which is what makes him an endearing character. Like he's he's kind of like someone who wishes he could be Spike Spiegel, but he's kind of a kind of a goof. He's he's a very the the one comparison I heard everyone make at the time was he's like Space Johnny Bravo. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Johnny I feel Bravo. like that was a good comparison. He's just a big he's just a big doofus who like. Thinks he's got it best with the ladies, that he's got all the hot moves, that he's more skilled than he, like, really appears. <laughs> it makes for, it's it's an endearing little archetype. And all, all that's missing is him just, like, doing the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> and Dandy, when he's not hunting down aliens, he's spending most of his money at a galactic restaurant called Boobies. <laughs> <laughs> Very on the nose, that name. As uh, QT puts it, it's the place with the jiggly waitresses and the not-so-hot wings. So, space hooters. Basically. Yeah, if, if, if you're an alien species that has uh, that has breasts, you can find good work at boobies. Either of you guys ever been to a hooters? Actually, no. <laughs> Have you? Uh, it's a safe space. Yes. <laughs> I'm there with you. I've been to Hooters before. Now, so I, I'm in the I, minority. No, wait, 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 okay. wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. I want to clarify something right now. Yeah, go on. I have never before in my life, before that point, ever wanted to go to a Hooters before. Never in my entire life. Because I heard they were crap. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> like, the food is crap. Like, it's, 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 it's not, like, you are not going to find any good food there to be eaten at all. The time that, <laughs> the one and only time... I've ever been to one was when I was super fucking depressed. <laughs> and I just said, and I just said, fuck it. Fuck everything. Fuck the world. I'm going to Hooters because I want to be in a place where I can look at people in the eye and hate them <laughs> and not feel sorry about it once. <laughs> where, really? Where if a patron had a problem with me, I would gladly tell them, fuck you to my their face <laughs> really yes i'm not joking <laughs> oh my god that's incredible <laughs> no because i i need to cl- i i can't oh, i don't want i don't want to say much about it but like i was like truly at like a low moment because like some something really really stupid happened within my family mm. to where i was just like Oh fuck everything! Like I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this bullshit. Like you know, I was, I was really feeling low, and I did not go there at all to be cheered up. I was like, Bandy. I want to, I want to go somewhere where I just like, I don't care about the food if it's shit or not. I want to get a pint of beer and like, fuck it, I'm gonna drink out of the pint of out of like the full. Like, uh, the pitcher that they brought me. <laughs> oh my god. That's what god. I did. I just, I just, out of the pitcher? Yeah. Like, I Dude! Got, I was like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm gonna drink out of the whole fucking pitcher. <laughs> I need shitty wings and curly fries. I don't fucking care. <laughs> I'm just, like, asking for someone to have a problem with me here. <laughs> So this has been anime, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that was, and that was the wow. one and only time I ever went to a restaurant when I was when I truly just did not give a fuck anymore <laughs> and just hated life itself. 
and wanted to escape everything in my life. Okay, wow, that beats uh, my times going to Hooters, where I went at least three times during a trip to Florida, and I went with my mom. (laughs) (laughs) For clarification, it's because there were no, I wanted hot wings, and there were no B-dubs around anywhere, and that was the closest place. Oh, so it was all you could really do. It was all I could do, and plus it was also at, like, the Hard Rock Hotel, so it's like, eh, it's a nice little location, so whatever. And, uh, yeah, QT's, uh... That's not as exciting. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, uh, (laughs) QT's assessment is 100%... Correct. Jiggly waitresses and not-so-hot wings. Yeah, not good. <laughs> not but good if place. you want to feel bad about yourself, there you go, baby. I mean, if you really want to truly say fuck it and, like, you don't care about anything, whether it be taste, flavor, or, like, uh, your, your, your liver being poisoned... <laughs> uh, yeah, then uh, Hooters is a great place to just uh, say fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, Lord. I tried to have a lovely time, you know, I said fuck it, when in Rome. but uh as for uh boobies this place this is ridiculous and i kind of love it i mean it's a pretty hopping place you know it's like on a space station in the shape of two opposite facing boobs with glowing beacons for the nipples (laughs) and the waitresses are in the skimpiest two-piece outfits with the tiniest booty shorts with little heart-shaped openings cut right above the butt crack (laughs) Uh uh-huh and they have and they have waitresses of all alien species too. Yeah, one of which is the creature from the Black Lagoon. The other is the three-breasted woman from Total Recall. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, speaking of aliens, this place is a major hangout for all kinds of aliens across the galaxy, and we get a lot of cool alien designs right here. Yeah, these creatures have been, are so cool. Like if you look in the credits, you'll see like they all they have like all sorts of like guest alien designers and stuff. I didn't write any of the names down because i'm a bad person but <laughs> the character designers for the series truly were incredible exactly like, original alien alien designs wherever you look in mm-hmm. the show and throughout this entire series both seasons you will never see the same glee glop twice no, no not really not really no. not a single like reused extra or anywhere and like the amount of work that must have went into creating these aliens is astounding and they can either be like the focus of an episode or only be on screen for five seconds for like a joke yeah, painstakingly, painstaking detail in a lot of them. <laughs> like, so much effort. And Dandy and QT are here to look for some aliens to hunt. As Well, QT's doing most of the work, while Dandy is just eating chicken wings and ogling the ladies. <laughs> as you do. And one lady in particular is the one and only Honey, a.k.a. your new best girl, played here by Alexis Tipton. And she's just wonderful. Yep, she's, she's, the, main, the, she's the main booby series of this of the show. You know, like Dandy says, thank you, boobies. <laughs> you know, we love Honey around these parts. She's amazing. Yeah, she she's the regular that Dandy always sees every time. And she's and she's just a sweetheart. Exactly. And also she just she has like this quintessential blonde babe design. <laughs> oh yeah. Like if you told an artist to just draw a blonde babe, they would draw honey. <laughs> she yep, has everything. Absolutely. And I bet they had a fun time doing so. I guarantee you they did. And as the series goes on, you can tell a lot of the animators love drawing honey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and certain directors would go even further. Mm-hmm. And if she's, I mean, if she's the main girl to have around, then yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, play around with as much detail as you want with her. <laughs> exactly. But no, she's a joy, she's a peach, and like, we all love her. And she loves and she loves seeing the crew of the Aloha Oi come by. Oh, yeah, regularly. always happy to see them. Anyway... Danny and QT locate what would be a new alien species. Uh, it looks a bit like a cat alien species known as Beetlejuiceans, but he has a, a mark on his cheek that says otherwise, like maybe it could be something different. And also, he's a huge smelly pervert who, t- who sneaks pics of the waitresses. As uh, Dandy confronts this alien, he 
the alien makes a run for it as he thinks Danny's after him for uh, taking pervy pictures. And we get, like, the first of many wacky animation flex chase scenes in the series where just stuff's just flying all around. You know, Dandy's using, like, a fishing rod to chase this guy and hook him. You got some, like, great, like, small little gags of, like, mm-hmm. uh, like Dandy trying to shoot, like, a bola device, but then, like, it accidentally wraps around an alien and two waitresses, <laughs> and the, the alien explodes from, like, <laughs> the, uh, the embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> you get, like, giant fish tanks being broken in this place. You see the alien flying through the air and gets stuck between the legs of a high chair. Like, Dandy just casually sitting on the chair afterwards as he's just captured his prey to trick you into thinking he's competent in any way. (laughs) (laughs) But it turns out the cat is just a regular Beetlejuice, and as the mark on his cheek is a sticker you get from ordering ordering a Gilgamesh tequila. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then after this little instant, we kind of cut away for a bit as the narrator tells us that there's an ongoing space conflict for control of the universe that just happens in the background of the series mm-hmm. is between these two warring factions. One is the Jaikro Empire, and the other is the Gogol Empire. And we meet some of the members of the Gogol Empire in, as we're introduced to Dr. Jell, a guerrilla scientist played here by J. Michael Tatum, and his right-hand man, B, who looks like an eggplant, played here by Micah Solisad. And these guys will be our main villains for the entire series. Though, like, kind of like Dandy, they're also kind of bumbling in some ways, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're, yes, absolutely. They're, they're idiots. <laughs> Strong Lord Hater and uh, Commander Peepers vibes from these guys. <laughs> they are exactly Hater and Peepers. Serious about themselves and chasing Dandy across the universe for uh, hitherto unknown reasons, but they're, they're no less, they're, no, they're, no more, they're not any more competent than uh, who they're chasing. And they fly around in a spaceship that is shaped like the head of a Statue of Liberty with a ball gag in its mouth. I, I really, know it! Really want to know it what Thomas rules. was. Uh, it fucking rules! Really want to know I what Thomas was thinking chap. of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe he was looking at the poster for Escape from New York and thought, that's good, but what if the Statue of Liberty had a ball gag? It's so silly. <laughs> what if it had oh a fish? Oh my god. <laughs> what if she was kinky? <laughs> I laugh every time that ship comes up. Like, every time I see it, I'm just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, like, I love how we're introduced to this conflict, introduced to these characters, and the, nar- and the narrator's like, okay, enough of that, back to the main story. <laughs> that whole conflict does not matter. Yeah, we have a space war, and that is not the focus of this entire show. No, it's not. It doesn't matter. Uh, but back to Dandy and Company, we are introduced to the Beetlejuicean, as his name is... Mm-hmm. What? what was that? No, you're mispronouncing it. It's Mirro. No, it's Mirro. 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 You know what? Fuck it. I don't. If you're not gonna get the names right, I'm sorry. I'm not doing this podcast. Fucking unprofessional. Damn. He's gone. He's back. I'm back. But that name's too hard to pronounce. But uh, since he looks like a cat, he is now named Meow, and he's played here by Joel McDonald. But he's not a cat. No, he's a Beetlejuicean. As he will constantly remind us. Just like Mona. Just like Mona, indeed. Yeah, but he's totally a space cat. He is. And I think Meow probably has, like, one of the funnier designs of the show, because, like... I love his design. My god. bowling pin-shaped cat guy... With, like, his Louise Belcher hat and a vest that looks to be held together by, like, two pins and a little pouch in front of him. Mm-hmm. And most important of all, 
Gotta have the orange Crocs. Yep, Crocs. <laughs> See our Miss Kobayashi season two episode to hear my feelings on Crocs. Unlike Dandy, he is not styling. But but hey, don't you? But hey, the only thing that could make his design better is if he had those little Croc headlamp things. Oh shit! <laughs> oh my god, those little like doodads that go on them. Yeah, like so you can turn on the lights and see in front of you. <laughs> Jesus. But no, Meow is a good character, and we'll see soon enough that he's kind of... I feel like he's in ways, some ways, he's kind of dumber than Dandy. Oh, <laughs> absolutely stupid. Each of the members of the Aloha He's a lazy pervert cat. He He's rules. Yeah, he's just a neat cat that lives out in... That's just kind of bumming with the Aloha Oi now. Yeah, and uh, with this, we have our full crew... And this, these three idiots are just the perfect trio. They're like mm-hmm. the space three stooges, in a way. <laughs> they bounce off each other so damn well. Yeah, they have really good chemistry, all of them together. And something that I come to notice throughout, the, throughout this watch of season one is that I never realized how much Dandy really hates Meow. <laughs> like he honestly really hates him. They do. They, the, 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 the animation team does put in good effort to make him unlikable. Yeah. <laughs> So, as they look for a planet to hunt new aliens, QT and Meow stress out over the location, and then Dandy calms, calms his crew down by giving us his manifesto. You listen! Life comes at you fast, just like a raging current! I don't fight it! Going against the flow just means you're swimming in place. One day you're too tired to paddle, and suddenly you drown. The whole thing was pointless, and now you're dead at the end! No, going with the flow is where it's at. <laughs> and that's the deadly way to live. That was pretty deep in a stupid, rambling kind of way. It was definitely stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, if you had to pick any scene that I think perfectly defines Dandy as a character, I think that's a very good scene. Exactly. Like, we know what it is to be Dandy and live the Dandy way. <laughs> Just stupid, just stu- stupid self-aggrandizing rambling. <laughs> but you almost have to admire him for it. You know, there are three ways to do things. The right way, the wrong way, and the dandy way. Baby. Isn't that the wrong way? Yeah, but faster. <laughs> but faster, yep. <laughs> yeah, but he's a very much go-with-the-flow kind of guy. And in a universe as crazy as this, you really do have to kind of go with the flow. The moment I saw that, I was I was sold on the show. If I wasn't before, that sold me on Space Dandy. And also, like, Dandy's go-with-the-flow attitude kind of reminds me of a similar character in, uh, recently I watched, uh, Fresh Pre-Cure. There's, like, another character that's kind of like Dandy. He's a cool guy who occasionally helps the Cures by giving them weirdly wise advice. And he also sells donuts. <laughs> like, I looked at him, and, he, and I thought, this guy's very Dandy. <laughs> nice. But, uh, anyway, back with the Gogo Empire, Dr. Jill speaks with the leader of the Empire as we're introduced to... Admiral Perry, played by Kent Williams, and holy shit, his design is so cool. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Giant skull head figure with planets orbit- orbiting around his head as he wears a black cloak that contains an entire cosmos. Kind of looks like Inferno <laughs> Cup. He does. He does. Actually, that's a good observation. With little flames above his head, like Ghost Rider or whatever. <laughs> as uh, Admiral Perry, he orders Dr. Jell to go after Dandy because, you know, like Horace Hogan, Dandy is the key to everything. And, you know, the series is mostly entirely episodic, but this actually does set up one of the overarching plots of the show. Like, kind of a bare minimum plot, but a plot nonetheless. And one that had people kind of talking week to week, wondering, like, 
okay, what's the deal with the Gogol Empire? Like, why do they like Dandy? Why do they want to capture him? And what does all this have to do with some weird element called Pionium? Yeah, this <laughs> made-up, almost, like, Hitchhiker's Guide <laughs> element right here. Yeah. Yeah, the, the series Resident Unobtainium. <laughs> Basically. But anyway, the Aloha Oi crew warps to an unknown location as they spot a cosmic string, and if they go pulling on it, there's a chance that space-time will be distorted. So Dandy pulls on it anyway. Of course and he does. Space-time distorts. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like that is also a catalyst for like a lot of the stuff that happens within this series. Oh, yeah. that That's a theme that'll come back. That stuff just happens because it's space. Yes. <laughs> and they end up on a planet that Meow says has plenty of unregistered aliens. So, and uh, at this point, Dr. Jill loses Dandy, and then he tells Perry about this, and he says, well, maybe we'll find him uh, next, next week. And then in a fit of rage, Perry just blows up their ship and just <laughs> kills them instantly in the first episode. Yep, that'll happen a bunch more. Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot more. Lots of characters will die and then just appear in the next episode. It's just fine. fine. Doesn't matter. Not at all. So Dandy and Meow, they beam down to the planet and come across a ton of giant aliens and like an idiot meow just gets them all aggro and then starts chasing the two of them all around this planet you have an extended gag that is just the whole like (laughs) there's always a bigger fish scene from star wars where like (laughs) dandy and meow are being chased by uh, all these incredible looking incredible incredibly designed aliens that are all just killing each other in 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 the in sequestion or in or in sequence i suppose (laughs) And, this and one, it all just makes for, like, one gorgeous uh, little directorial work for Shingo Natsume. Oh, my God. This is beautiful right here. Like, I remember... Yeah. This was the right this was the right foot to put forward for the first episode of the series. Like, I remember when we first watched this, because we actually watched this at, like... We had a, we had a watch party for Space Dandy when the premiere happened. Nice. And I remember watching this, like, I was kind of, like, on the edge of my seat going all, like, Oh, my God, this is so cool. It was uh-huh. a beautiful moment among all, us and all yep, our friends. I remember watching that too i i was alone but i definitely remember getting pizza beforehand and coming <laughs> felt back like and a watching roller coaster <laughs> and i love all the gags that happened to not in this uh, sequence not only with the aliens just killing each other one after another but also you got like bits where dandy he pulls out his little cartoon toy laser gun and the and the batteries are dead yeah like he completely misses it's dead and then he tries to do like a revolver ocelot twirl and he just flings it behind his back and he doesn't even pay attention to that <laughs> <laughs> And then just more and more aliens just keep coming out of the woodwork. And then one alien gets sucked up by a goo alien. And then the big alien does, like, the, the Terminator 2 thumbs up as he mm-hmm. sinks inside the alien. <laughs> like, it's all so quick. It's like joke after joke after joke with this sequence here. Yep. Incredibly Meanwhile, well, Danny and Meow yeah, are just trying to escape. And, like, they're also just, like, at the complete whims of fate as, like, all these creatures are trying to kill each other. And then QT tries to beam them back up. But the uh, tractor beam is, like, too slow. And they actually beam up. One of the aliens that gets stuck in the ship and then starts ping-ponging them around the entire ship. <laughs> yep. This whole this whole sequence is just in is just a real animators animation lovers treat where like the visuals are all just speaking for it's for themselves. Like, yeah. Whenever we refer to animation flex, like look at the scene and imagine just the animators just drawing, going, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, go, go oh, yeah. yeah, feed the pythons." <laughs> <laughs> And then Dandy tells QT to use the secret weapon because everything's just going to hell. Which is a self-destruct sequence which blows up the ship and the entire planet just wiping out every living thing within the radius of this planet. 
And everyone, the first episode die ends with the main cast all dying. They're all dead. <laughs> We're done. Series over. Thanks for watching. See you next week. No, 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 no. We can't make that joke for the series because you can make it for nearly every episode. Oh, yeah. It's like, this is a running gag. This like, is very much, yeah. They're like the Looney Tunes, you know, like Daffy Duck can get shot in the face and blown up repeatedly and be fine in the next cartoon. Like, that rule applies to every single character in Space Dandy. Absolutely. And it's actually kind of a plot point. <laughs> it kind of is. It does actually become a plot point by the end. Like, people oh, actually God. sort of theorized that, and they would kind of be right. <laughs> yeah, people were like, were, like, thinking to themselves as the series went along, like, hey, the characters have died a lot, like, in many of these episodes. Could there be, like, a, could there possibly be, like branching timelines <laughs> and yeah. it got people's minds racing people were making charts about this <laughs> they were <laughs> they were doing the full you know charlie day pepe sylvia stuff with this thing with this show <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was a great way to start off space dandy like, oh lord i knew we had something special with this show as soon as that episode ended this is one of my favorite first episodes of an anime ever incredible honestly introduction yeah. to the world of dandy and then it's only gets higher and higher from here on out. As we got to episode two, The Search for the, for the Phantom Space Ramen Baby, directed by Sayo Yamamoto and written by Dai Sato. Yeah, that's a combo. <laughs> yeah, Sayo Yamamoto Baby, you may remember her from when we covered Yuri on Ice all the way back in our third ever episode. <laughs> Damn. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear more about her, like I did a bit of the preamble on her back then, but uh, in short, she kind of she got her uh, start at around age twenty five by working on three show three episodes of the show called Dragon Drive, and eventually she would go on to be a director of shows like Michiko and Hachin, Lupin the Third, Woman Called Fuchiko Mine, and the aforementioned Yuri on Ice, which does have a movie coming out, and it'll be out eventually. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> It's been too long, but it's good to have. It's been too long, but it's good to have you back. Yeah, and also uh, she also worked with Watanabe on uh, Samurai Champloo, and that was kind of like her first collaboration. Right. Uh huh. And also, it was the first time she collaborated with uh, the writer Dai Sato. He's got a lot of history. That's for sure. He's done like episodes of Bebop. Bebop. I know he's done like uh, he wrote two Resident Evil games, Revelations One and Two. (laughs) Yep. And he's also wrote for uh, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, Full Strain, uh-huh. Ergo Proxy, Samurai Champloo, Eat Him the East, Woman Called Fujiko Mine, and uh, most recently the series called uh, Listeners in 2020 and Yuri Deco, which is currently airing at the time of this recording. Yep, that it is. But uh, most importantly of all, he did uh, he did a series that I didn't like at first, but when I gave it a second chance, it became one of my all-time favorites, and that is Eureka 7, you know, one of the greatest mech shows and love stories in anime history, in my opinion. And so that we got a good crew for this episode right here. Oh, just fantastic. Good stuff. And this episode is all about uh, the crew of the Aloha Oi off finding ramen. Or yep. Phantom <laughs> Space Ramen. Yeah, hey, I know that feeling, man. Hell yeah. Trying to find I some know good that ramen. feeling. <laughs> <laughs> some good ass ramen. I've been on that journey before, too. So I can oh, relate. Yeah. And like, uh, this, whole, this whole thing starts off with Meow stealing Dandy's. Uh, instant ramen stash and just going all like yeah this is all right but it's just it's got that instant taste you know you need to get some real ramen buddy uh-huh. what'd you expect it's maruchan yes <laughs> <laughs> you know he's a yeah he's very much an expert and he will help dandy find this uh phantom space ramen because he doesn't want dandy to kick him out of the crew yep and we see how much of a, a slob mooch and slacker meow is in oh this god here 
No to spending all of his days eating instant ramen and kissing his girly pillow. <laughs> <laughs> like, no surprise, Meow has a body pillow at Dakimakura. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> then again, I shouldn't judge because I actually bought a Multiverse Monic body pillowcase recently. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to kiss it, though. Okay, you know? Meow. <laughs> I'm not going to kiss it. I'm just, mm. just going to rest my head on her lap is all. Mm. And we'll see. <laughs> There better be no lippy action going on there, buddy. <laughs> Cut a hole into it. You'll <laughs> <laughs> hide the scissors for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just like the, the lewd joke I always make about those pillows. So. <laughs> People, like, I mean, that's, the, that's the one I always drop on them. Like, where do you cut the hole into it? <laughs> what do you think, buddy? It's a good it's a good joke, gotta say. It is. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And uh, speaking of horny stuff, you can tell Yamamoto directed this because uh, the animators really sexified honey in this episode. Oh god, yeah. And that's like one of her trademarks where like she really loves amplifying the sexiness, you know, not not just women but men too, of like all the shows she done. Like, look at a woman called Fujiko Mine, look at Michiko and Hachin, like everyone is super hot. Mm-hmm. Knows how to make some all hotties, no naughties. And so uh, this episode is all about uh, the crew hitting up a bunch of different ramen shops. At one shop, a couple of notable things happen. Talked about this before, but uh, yeah, the currency in this world is wulongs. Of course, it is. Just like Cowboy Bebop and Carolyn Tuesday. It's a white naughty show. It has to be. Yeah. I, I like I like that fun little idea of just keeping the same currency for all these works that are clearly in different like worlds. Actually, uh, Watsonami has said jokingly that all of his shows take place within the same universe. <laughs> like, I mean, if you, I mean, yeah, if you do some mental gymnastics, I think just that imagining does work. Spike and Dandy crossing over one day. <laughs> I mean, in Carolyn Tuesday, they were watching an episode of Space Dandy. Yeah, and I feel like I remember something about Carolyn. Tu- yeah, yeah, like QT made an appearance somewhere. There was a brief, yeah, there was a brief cameo from QT and Honey. Yeah, like a, a robot that was helping them direct a music video was just watching on their phone an episode of Space Dandy, and we saw QT and Honey at, like, a pool. Nice. So it was, it was original animation, too, so. Yeah, that was a cute little cameo. Yeah, but uh, Watsonami has said everything takes place in the same universe, and it's, like, it's not quite the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's kind of more like Kevin Smith's Viewisk Universe, where it's kind of tangentially related, but yeah, not actually related. Yeah, I can see that. Except you don't have, like, the, 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 the funny old men peering up, like, Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, you don't yeah. have, or, like, them showing up in Scream 3 for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have a guy directing it who's wearing, like, uh, ankle-long jorts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at this point, we also get introduced to another major character. We saw her earlier, but uh, this time we kind of get formally introduced to her as... This is Scarlet, played here by Colleen Clinkenbeard. Oh, I love Scarlet. Oh, Scarlet. She's awesome. Like, her and Honey are, like, two of the best ladies in this show. Like, we yep. love them. She's arguably the most responsible person in oh, the yeah. show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because she is the receptionist, let's say, at the Alien Registration Center. And you'll be seeing her a lot through the series as our uh, intrepid heroes bring in aliens to be registered. Yep, and she's completely... No nonsense whatsoever, but uh, she's also very much a baddie, like a Jade Cargill baddie. Yeah. <laughs> and also I see in her scene with Dandy here, but it's like, it's a great scene, like the interaction between these two right here. Is she a friend of yours? Let's find out. Dandy? 
Hey. Well, hello there, beautiful. What a delicious surprise. This must be my lucky day. So, lovely, what is your name? What? Yes. I'm speechless, too. Destiny's in the air. I can practically hear Beethoven's sixth playing just for us. Destiny was the fifth symphony. <laughs> You are a shy one, aren't you? That's okay, baby. Spit it out. What are you trying to say? Direct. I like that in a woman. I do have something very important to ask you, babe. Uh, Can you spot me some cash? One step and we'll shoot! <laughs> <laughs> your mothers ever teach you not to waste your food you should all be ashamed of yourselves Scarlet, by the way. And don't you forget it. Sorry about the mess. Whatever your name is, that's a grade A butt you've got there, baby. As Dandy Caesar at one of the ramen shops, and then he tries to put the old dandy charm on her. Yep, the old dandy charm. Doing, like, these moves, walking up to her, doing, like, Michael Jackson moves. Ow! <laughs> it, it's, like, very much a Johnny Bravo-type scene right here with all the quick posing and trying to, like, hit on some lady. Mmm, slick moves. And then he's all like, can you spot me some cash? <laughs> That's it. Because <laughs> they're broke right now. And, like, I feel like that was the moment that people really compare Dandy to Johnny Bravo. Because <laughs> he's that... pulling all the same moves that Johnny would have also, like, pulled. All the quick movements, the, the poses. <laughs> Am I stubby as the Statue of David, or what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, who's that handsome guy? Oh, now we're emerging? There's a handsome guy in my house. Oh, wait, cancel that? It's only me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, the Gogol Empire goons show up and, as uh, they found uh, Dandy's location thanks to... Meow tweeting about where they are. Yep, he's always posting his food. And this even feels like a joke that would have been, that was kind of like new and uh, you would kind of typically see at that time of like, oh, we've got this new thing of like food blogging that's kind of coming up, up right now in these recent years. Let's make a nice little, quick little joke about it. Yeah. For an episode. And then as soon as these goons show up, Scarlet then proceeds to beat the shit out of them oh in an amazing God, fight yes. sequence here. Like, it's really good, too. Someone likes animating martial arts. Because <laughs> Scarlet can kick ass. Yep. Yep. And, of course, all Danny can think about is her ass. <laughs> he's all like, you got a great A butt there, baby. <laughs> As he's, like, knocked out on the floor. Uh-huh. And does the Ashita Nojo kind of pose with, the, like, the whiteout and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, love when this incident gets back to Dr. Jill. He thinks Dandy was the one who took him out. And that also becomes a bit of a runner where, like, whenever his plans get thwarted, he always thinks it's, it's Dandy. Like, 
Dandy's much more craftier than he actually is. <laughs> That's always a good bit. Like, it's almost like a Beavis and Butthead do America, where, like, everyone thinks Beavis and Butthead are, like, these international terrorists or anything, but they're yeah. just kind of <laughs> falling into these shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You only say that because we watched it this morning. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was on our minds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just more and more goons keep showing up at these ramen shops because Meow just can't not check in, you know, checking in at Full Metal Noodleist. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those names were great. And every time... And like, and like, one of them was just metal ramen. Yeah, it was like knives inside, like, a ramen bowl. <laughs> Yeah, the the du- yeah the dub team was definitely taking some fun little liberties with the uh, with the script in these episodes. Yeah, and it and it kind of fits, you know, since like Meow is off screen, so like they don't have blue flaps to worry about, so they can kind of put in their own little jokes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And every single time, like they run away and they go, "How did they figure out where we were? Who knows? Lucky guess, maybe." Nope, nope. He's just sharing too much. <laughs> and then Dandy finds out about this as he sees Meow tweeting. And then he just chucks his phone into space. <laughs> yup, it's gone. It's like, stupid cat! <laughs> well, it's almost like you it's almost like you shouldn't tweet about your uh, your location if you're doing like uh, explicitly illegal things yeah. or like stuff that would get you caught. It's almost like <laughs> like maybe say like some sort of like insurrection at like a capital. You know? <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> Oh, then QT. I don't would... know. Maybe maybe QT would have something to say about that. He actually would love that. <laughs> <laughs> QT would be really good at like climbing the walls and stuff with her li- with the little like suction cup hands. You know. Hey, Dandy, stop the steal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hang out with my new best friend, the QAnon shaman. I'm glad we never got to that stage where like she oh, did, she, where like she just decided to bail out immediately. Space and not Dandy to make too. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you know, it's like I said on our Samurai Jack episode. When VAs are on some bullshit, I'm gonna call them out on it. <laughs> that said, I really would love to see some fan art of a uh, of a uh, of QT at the Capitol. <laughs> no, of Joe Pesto getting arrested. Oh yeah, <laughs> outside outside Bob's Burgers, <laughs> and you see Bob laughing his ass off yeah in the background he's like ha, yeah <laughs> suck it jimmy pesto <laughs> pesto's is gone we won <laughs> okay that's that's my bit that's I, had, right. I had to get that out <laughs> yep so eventually their search leads them to the real phantom ramen though uh the store they find it at isn't the one that made it as uh, that place doesn't have a kitchen as it turns out, they get the ramen from a wormhole in the back of the store. Of course, as you do. I mean, it's space. They got tons of stuff like that. <laughs> so Dandy and Meow enter the wormhole and end up in some kind of mysterious dimension where there's nothing but a, but a small ramen cart operated by a single old man alien, played here by Grant James. And uh, they call the guy Pops, and he tells Dandy and Meow this actually almost... It's, it's funny, but it's also kind of sad and moving tale about how he became a ramen salesman. No, but like this is what I like though about this like second episode. It's it, this like because like we got the fun out of the way for the first episode, saying like okay, this is the whole gist of the series. It's this funny little comedy where we're gonna have like stellar animation and everything. But then you get to the second episode, which is like now let's show that we have heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's show that we have heart and can actually make you feel for this old man alien who makes uh, ramen and had a, has a really sad backstory. Yeah, it's about how like he was in a biker gang, you know hung out with a bad crowd on the wrong side of the tracks. But then he killed his girlfriend by 
lighting her on fire while trying to light her cigarette, which was in yeah, her mouth. It's, he accidentally breathed too much fire and accidentally killed his girlfriend. It's an absurd story, but it's also pretty sad. And, like, he, you know, we actually see him leave his gang and, you know, just become a stumbling drunk, just all going from planet to planet, just, you know, feeling really aimless in life until one day a man showed him kindness by buying him a bowl of ramen. And he's like... I want to give this moment to other people who are in the same position as me. Aww. Very sweet. And he became a ramen salesman, and it's it's actually really sweet. Good bowl of ramen is a great gesture of love to another person. Oh, yeah. Like, the actual scene of him, like, happily crying while eating his ramen and, you know, crying into it is, like, it's actually really kind of heartbreaking, but mm-hmm. still very sweet. It's great. And, you know, Dandy, he was actually, he was actually kind of moved by the story, and he, and he decides, like, you know, I'm just going to leave you to it. I don't want to bring you in. Aww, see, he's cool like that. Very kind of him. You know, he wants to let this old man provide ramen to everyone in the galaxy. And then uh, Meow tries to bring some back, but he accidentally trips and drops his bowl on the way through the, through the wormhole. <laughs> see, you shouldn't wear a crop, you'll trip. Yeah, idiot. <laughs> but yeah, like like you said, like after the insanity of the previous episode, this is actually like a very nice second episode to get... But then we get back into Wacky Town in the next episode. Wacky Time, baby! As the next episode is Occasionally Even the Deceiver is Deceived, Baby, directed by Hiroshi Hamasaki and written by Kimiko Ueno. Remember that name because she comes up a lot. Yeah, she's a she's like one of the like people who have written the most episodes of this show. Yeah, but uh, do you have any other of her works? Oh, uh, yeah. She's done a few episodes of BNA, Carol and Tuesday, a bunch of Shin-Chan movies, then some episodes of Little Wetch Academia. Nice. Mm, man, good good roster right there. And uh, Hiroshi Hamasaki, he was actually the director of my favorite anime of all time, Steins Gate. Uh, yeah, he did Steins Gate. Uh, Hell yeah. Like, as soon as I found that out, I'm just all like, yes. God, this, is, this guy does good work. Yeah, uh, this, your man. Yeah, this guy's AMN page was a mile long. Oh, like, yeah. a lot of these are. <laughs> Um, other name, other things on there, other name, other names that I could throw out there that he's worked on include Beck, another one of the shows you've done here on the podcast, uh, Paranoia Agent, Demon City Shinjuku, he's worked on Redline, uh, Perfect Blue, Wicked City. The one difficult, the one difficult time I had searching through a lot of the names for the series for directors and writers and whatnot and storyboard artists was trying to sort through all the key animation they did. <laughs> yeah, it's a... A lot of these people, like I said, their ANN pages are just scroll, 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 scroll. And sometimes IMDb doesn't like show up the proper name either. No, no and like even some of these people don't even have like Wikipedia pages either. Like you have to go through ANN or IMDb to like get everything, and even then you don't get everything. Right, right. So yeah, we 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 you got to be thorough in researching this series. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as the preview for this episode says, it's time for full on anime fan service. Yep. <laughs> We're already getting there, baby. <laughs> As uh, Dandy sets a course for the nearest boobies so he can claim his uh, point card before it expires. And it's a point card with like a sexy honey hologram on there, which uh, Meow kind of bats at like a cat. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely the feline brain taking over Meow there. I do remember when this episode was airing, uh, the voice actors would often live tweet about it. And oh, I, yeah. And I remember Alexis Tipton tweeting out, Hey, Meow, can you stop karate chopping me, please? <laughs> That's nice. cute. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, this is after Dandy tries some, like, bullshit plan to pass off Meow as an unregistered alien, where it's like, he takes Meow and he puts him in, like, this almost burlap sack and just, like, draws on his face to, like, make him look like another alien, but 
the x-ray machine at the registration center just proves that he's a Beeljuicean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trying to deceive old Scarlet. <laughs> It's like they're trying to resort to these, like, cartoonish antics to try and get, like, some money for a payday. Yeah, like, like Dandy could have easily just, like, put, like, you know, do the, the glasses with, like, the little mu- mustache on it. Oh, yeah, it would have <laughs> been just as effective. Oh, come on, baby, totally a different alien. And uh, also, uh, they need to get, like, that free food because all they have to eat is some rancid 10,000-year-old slop that QT bought tons of. Yeah, he got uh, one for... Th- he got he had a buy one get 365 free deal i believe is what qt mentioned and mentions that uh comes from a place that is 10,000 light years away <laughs> yep so it came from the future yes. and that is why it was <laughs> so expired. cheap yep. but on arrival <laughs> dandy mashes the warp drive too hard and the crew end up on a mysterious planet far away from any boobies yeah, are they I know. It's, as the crew comes across a very well-endowed woman running from a bunch of killer aliens. Killer aliens that kind of remind me of uh, certain shadows from the Persona games. You know the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. What about them? I know. Yeah, it kind of looks very suggestive. <laughs> like Say that. Stuff looking like certain other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the crew and the lady get away from the aliens called Ragians, and we formally get introduced to this woman as this is... Mamitas, played here by Tuna Nishimura, and oh my god, what is she not wearing? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, my word. <laughs> it's like her clothes are only half on, or half off, depending on how you look at it. And also, bubes. Plenty of bubes. Bubes? <laughs> it, seems like the, it seems like the sort of stereotypical situation that Dandy would want to find himself in in, uh-huh. in the universe. Like a cute girl being chased by violent aliens, and he's there to save her. Exactly. Of course. And also, the name, Mamitas, combination of memories and tatas. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's good. Though it's not all about breasts, as they do make sure to give us good shots of her booty as well. (laughs) With, like, her shorts that are, like, barely even on. Yeah, but for Dandy, this seems all too good to be true. Like, he sees her, and he's all like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he he is he is thrilled. And also, Meow is thrilled, too, as these two just can't stop simping over her. Oh, my God. <laughs> these these two are the ultimate horn dogs. Just trying to be all like, hey, how's it going? Just kind of cozying up to her a bit. You know, hey, why don't you come with us? Oh, ignore that idiot over there. I'm the real, real big guy of this crew here. Uh-huh. Mamita says her ship is broken, and she's stranded on this planet, so the plan is to use parts from her ship to fix the Aloha Aoi, so that's how they kind of get her to go along with everything. But meanwhile, Jell and B find Dandy and are set to capture him, but then B points out that, that uh, this, alien, this planet is inhabited by a super dangerous alien, an alien creature known as a Death Jerian, and oh shit, it's actually Mamita's. Oh god, oh boy. <laughs> and double oh shit, she's hungry. Very hungry. And uh, the Ragians from earlier, they were actually trying to warn Dandy to, about the, and the crew about Mamitas. They were trying to be like, hey, get off this planet. She's going to kill you all and eat you. Yeah, Dandy just just forgot to turn on his alien translator <laughs> device. And then it turns out, oh yeah, they're actually trying to warn him away from Absolutely. <laughs> and only Dandy and QT hear this as uh, Meow is back inside the ship playing with the honey hologram so he doesn't hear this. <laughs> And then Mamitas sneaks up on him and then shows her true form. 
She's a booby monster. She literally transforms into a 90s OVA booby monster. <laughs> it's great. Or if you saw this on Toonami, she's a blurry monster. Oh, I was asking. I, was, I actually was wondering about that. That's one of the things I was wondering because I totally forgot how Toonami handled that. I remember that like it was yesterday when that, when like giant multiple breasts popped out of her body. It was just all blurred, 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 blurred. <laughs> yeah, because there was no chance they would be able uh, to show that. Oh, what can you that. do? <laughs> it's kind of like uh, Yashihime Season 1, where they had also their own booby monster, and they had to censor that too. Barely <laughs> even in that situation, though. It was like tasteful nudity. Shout out yeah. Yashihime. Not even, didn't even have any like dimensions or like anything to, any nips or anything. To show. No, but uh, Mommy Tosh, plenty of nip all around. Yeah, you all gotta censor over. this transformation. Yeah. Yeah. At least until she gets super massively big, and you don't need to censor tiny details. Yeah, you don't. You have to put the uh, the blur tool away after that point. Yeah. So uh, Dandy and QT decide to say fuck it and peace out without Meow as he uh, gets eaten by this monster right here. Yep. <laughs> QT's all like, "Hey, what about Meow?" And Dandy's all like, eh, "I'll I'll gladly remember him." And then <laughs> and then they're all like, "Hey, didn't he have like that point card you wanted?" And then Dandy immediately rakes his back. <laughs> yeah, gotta get the movies card. Lucky for him, Space Dandy doesn't abandon his friends. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great, that was a great bet. And then we get a cool bit here where Dandy transforms the, spa- the, ex- the escape pod into a giant fighting robot called the Little Aloha, complete with a Robo Pompadour and a Happy Corbin Hawaiian shirt. Oh, I love the design Just of this robot. So good. Oh my god. How is it how is it possible that the small robot design is even better than the big one? Right? Oh, it looks so good with like the Hawaiian shirt on and like the the the, the pompadour attachments. And the I remember the inside. I remember the first time seeing that. I was like, "Yes!" That is such a that is such a fun-looking robot design. It's like one of the many robot designs I've seen in shows where I really want a figure that so I can put it on my shelf and admire it. Is there a figure of it? I don't, I don't know that so. there is, but there Damn is. Damn it! There is a space dandy uh, statue figure, which I do have. Oh, uh, yeah. Tonight. So yeah, that's 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 clearly going to be on my list of things to get someday. And during the brawl, the uh, little Aloha smashes into the Aloha Oi, and then a bunch of debris flies out, including tons of the awful food QT bot. Yep. The Death Jerian eats it, and then you can guess what happens next, right here. Yep. Yep, I mean, looks like it paid off in the end. And I love the bit where Dandy and QT, they figure this out, grab a fistful of the expired food, and then just shove it into the Death Jarian's mouth, and then it just immediately disintegrates and turns into like a little small creature. It's great. It's lovely. Yeah, fantastic little action sequence. And this is the first time we actually get to see Dandy turn in an alien, and actually have it accepted. Yay! They they finally did it! I mean, it would be a little boring if, like, he went this whole series without confirming a single one. 99,000 Wulongs in the bank. Mm, yeah. That's maybe a large amount. Yep, it's a big reward for all the boobies he can have. Yep, he's gonna go spend all of it over boobies. And nothing of value was lost. Nothing. Nothing was. No one. Mm-hmm. Certainly not any space cats. <laughs> Meow fucking died. <laughs> he got eaten, and then Danny and QT forgot about the him. End. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> He'll be fine. Nothing bad will happen to him in the next episode. <laughs> As episode four, You Can't Live Without Dying, Baby, directed by Ikuro Sato and written, once again, by Kimiko Ueno. 
Uh, do you have anything about uh, Ikuro Sato? He, he worked on a bunch of Bebop episodes. Uh, directed, I think, actually was the director of Blood, Bo- Blood Blockade Battlefront. Excellent. Worked on G Gundam, Wolf's Reign, Razafon, Brotherhood. But the but the real credit here, the real one, production assistant, 21 episodes, 1985, Inspector Gadget. Yay! Wowzers. Wow, an alumni from Inspector Gadget on this episode. Hell yeah. They hit the jackpot. Probably one of my favorite episodes of season one, next to another episode that we'll get to. This yeah, is one I of the only this... fun this is one of the only funny and actually good zombie episodes. Yeah, I wrote down at the end here top tier dandy episode. <laughs> This is legitimately one of the best ones, and it's surprisingly one of the early ones. Mm-hmm. And also one that was really fun to, to like watch and also watch Twitter along with, too, because everyone was just kind of going nuts about this one. This is a joke that just keeps going and going, and it doesn't <laughs> stop. It just <laughs> snowballs. <laughs> so it starts off with the crew, them having what appears to be a Stiltonian, which is a registered alien, but uh, something seems off. It's very slow sickly looking you know different color yeah and also a bit of a biter as it takes a chomp out of meow that chomp leaves meow looking very uh very pale and kind of out of it like almost as if he's in a bit of a trance uh-huh you know but ah, he'll be fine you know he just got eaten by a booby monster and he just came back he'll be cool probably caught a bug so meow is taken to a local medical facility and it turns out that none of his vitals are responsive as if he's uh not alive. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout all of this opening sequence in the hospital, or excuse me, local medical facility, Dandy just doesn't give a shit about Meow. All he cares about are these nurses. He is trying to get fresh with all these nurses, you know, trying to grab their butts or anything. Or there's like a, a bit I like where the nurses are like, okay, if you need anything, just buzz me. And then it cuts through a shot of Dandy with a buzzer behind his back. and he's Just, just hammering going, it with his thumb. And, and the nurse like, is like, yeah, you only have to press that button once, sir. <laughs> Which reminds me, there was also an episode of Johnny Bravo where he was hanging around in a hospital. <laughs> mm, there you go. Though he wasn't beat up by, like, an Igor-looking guy, though. <laughs> Even before you can make the joke, Dandy does give us a, hello, nurse. Yes, <laughs> I, 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 I that was so happy about that. <laughs> that was totally a dub edition. Yeah, that <laughs> had to be, <laughs> And as this is going on, the Gogol Empire has hired some people to assist Dr. Jell in capturing Dandy, as he has bounty hunters. You definitely need their scum around, Dr. Jell. So the next day, Dandy QT returns to the local medical facility, and I do like the bit where Dandy's walking in, and he's singing a little song to himself. Yeah, you need to put that in. Oh yeah, splicey. I'm myself a nurse, and the boots are big and bouncy, they go boing, 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 and I feel it in my naughty bits. I'm myself a nurse and a big kabooba bouncy head go boing boing and I feel it in my naughty face. <laughs> <laughs> and Ian Sinclair was like really giving his all for that song. Like he, I could almost imagine him kind of grooving along as he's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Something seems wrong here as there's a lot of blood splattered all over the place. A lot of broken doors and windows. And everyone looks scary. 
Everything looks really off here. Something's wrong. But Dandy's all like, whoa, you must have had the night shift. (laughs) (laughs) And then a bunch of nurses start slowly lurching towards him. And he's all like, whoa, ladies, please, one at a time. (laughs) (laughs) I know you all want to kiss my... fucking idiot. I know you all want to, like, glomp onto my head right now. But, like, please. (laughs) Let's go get dinner first. There's enough Dandy to go around, baby. And, yeah, this is where we find out. We got zombies. Oh, no. <laughs> and they're not here to sing and dance and save the Saga Prefecture. They're, not yet. No. Nah. Not these zombies. <laughs> they want to eat brains. Yes, they're delicious. the regular brain type. Delicious, delicious brains. And we get a great bit in this place where zombies are just coming from in and out of the walls everywhere. Like, the night before, Meow bit one of the nurses, and then that just kind of snowballed into like everyone in this place being turned into zombies <laughs> yeah everyone in the local medical medical facility including the bounty hunters that show up to capture dandy and even dr gel and b who show up later too <laughs> <laughs> and then qt figures it all out as the stiltonian was a zombie and then it bit me out and then he turned into a zombie and then everything just kind of happened from there Mm-hmm. So everyone's becoming a zombie now. Everyone is a zombie, even QT. Yep, as Dandy tries to use QT as a weapon to fight <laughs> off all these zombies. Whatever, you're a robot. You can't even make robots turn into can a zombie. turn into zombies. Like ten seconds later, oh crap, robots can turn into zombies. And this is after QT goes, "You're so mean. I thought you were my friend." <laughs> <laughs> and I do love zombie QT. Like they look super cute with like the little menacing, scary face and like little mouth port kind of looking into like a jaw or whatever still got those auto-tuned moans just (laughs) and then dandy tries to make a break for it and he looks to be saved by a passing by helicopter but then the pilot turns out to be a zombie and chomps dandy yup and when we watched this on uh tsunami that's when we got the commercial break like that was the axe break right there (laughs) yep that it was and then we come back and everyone's a zombie but yeah, what what happens next is incredible. An incredible fifteen minutes of television. A whole, a whole stretch that like, the narrator needs to like carry because no one can talk anymore. Yep, our Bruce Elliott has his working boots on right for this episode. As the crew, they're all zombies and they just live their Go lives. About life. Yeah, life goes on. Brushing their teeth slowly. I love QT. Like, they don't have a toothbrush, so they just kind of, like, brush just their mouth port with their finger. <laughs> mouth port, yep. And then they just spend their days, you know, despair, eat raw meat, despair, raw meat, despair, raw meat. And, like, I love how QT just takes meat chunks and puts it into, like, this little compartment on their, <laughs> on their body. And we just start learning about zombies, you know, how zombies work and everything like that. How they can communicate through groaning. And how, like, zombies should avoid eating meat and instead should opt for a diet of uh, fat-free yogurt. As uh, the lactic acid bacteria keeps them from rotting, so instead they're fermenting. Well, I also love that that like, becomes, like, a funny little philosophy for being, a, for being a zombie. It's like, you're not rotting, you're fermenting. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Just it's because a... life has ended doesn't mean that life is over. No. No, it's kind of hopeful. <laughs> and you can even sunbathe to keep yourself fresh. <laughs> yeah. And we even see that zombies have a variety of emotions, too. As we get this shot of, like, zombie Dandy going, uh, 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 as the narrator goes, happy, sad, annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they may all sound the same, but you can't hear, but there are subtle differences in each moan. (laughs) 
And also they point out that even though they're zombies, they still kind of retain their personalities a bit. Like, even though they're just, like, groaning and lurching, like, Dandy still is trying to be a space hunter, and he still loves boobies and He still tries to be a ladies' man. (laughs) And also, they don't have to worry about money, as Dandy took out a life insurance policy prior to this from a woman he wanted to make whoopee with. And now that he's technically dead, he can cash it in, which also took him, like, months to cash in, as as he keeps showing up to, like, this life insurance place and goes, like, I'm dead, like, urgh. And then the guys are like, "Okay, fine, fine, you're dead." <laughs> so they're just good on money for now, from now on. Yeah. Oh, and also the narrator says that months have passed since the, the zombie incident. Yeah, like, time is compressing <laughs> here. Yeah. Time means meaningless now. And then when they go to boobies, Honey doesn't even realize they're zombies. <laughs> <laughs> the argument being that because like. People and aliens of all walks of life come in all the time. It's like you can't, it's impossible to keep track of like what people are like usually in space. So she doesn't even notice that they're dead. And, and Dandy does try to like cop a feel of her, of her booty. So like she probably thinks, oh, that's normal. He's fine. <laughs> and then we also get another great bit with uh, Dr. Jill and B trying to report back to Admiral Perry. And then Perry doesn't realize they're zombies. <laughs> And he gets so annoyed by the groaning that he just blows them up. <laughs> yep. He's like, I swear, if you say, oh, one more time, didn't you hear what I just said? <laughs> and then we even see that zombies can even find love in this world. They can. As like two zombies hooked up the day of uh, the start of the outbreak. But uh, their identities must be kept private, so their voices... And there's... It's, a, it's completely pointless. Yep. <laughs> as we hear like... Audio edited like groans, <laughs> like hide the right. They're hiding behind the screen. <laughs> and another great joke where they say, for some reason, zombies have an unexplained urge to go to the mall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. And we see that more and more zombies are pulling off this life insurance scam too. So much so that they have to hire in like a task force to like kill, double kill these zombies so they don't. Yeah, scam the more money out of people. Yeah, the insurance companies are getting yep. scammed by zombies now. Like, oh, there's, yeah. way, there's now way more zombies so than the universe absurd. knows what to do with. And the ending to this episode is brilliant. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'll splice you in. It wasn't long before the hunters and the insurance agents who hired them were turned into Walking Dead themselves. With the threat gone, the zombies were able to peacefully coexist once again. Eventually, everyone in the universe became a zombie, and it happened faster than anyone could have imagined. In this day and age, even robots can become zombies. Now that every living thing has become an undead version of itself, the universe is an incredibly peaceful place. There is no more sickness, death, or war. We no longer classify ourselves as different species, for we have become one unified, albeit zombified, genus. Eventually, everyone in the entire universe becomes a zombie, and they manage to achieve universal world peace. 
<laughs> even, Universal peace. Even our wonderful narrator becomes a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> even now, as I'm uh, as I'm uh, speaking in this episode, I feel like I'm becoming. Uh, oh, that's funny enough because then, I feel like uh, I'm Written and directed by George A. Romero. (laughs) (laughs) That was like... The the icing on top of the cake. (laughs) That end card. (laughs) As they spend all their days just watching Romero's filmography. (laughs) One of the only funny zombie episodes from this time that I can recall. Great. My God. And like, you know, despite what many films, TV shows, and video games may say, life as part of The Walking Dead isn't as bad as it seems to be. It's actually really, really nice. <laughs> Maybe if we're all zombies, then we'll, we'll finally achieve world peace. <laughs> just the world of people just groaning and eating brains and yogurt. Damn, this episode rocks. It did. Great stuff. <laughs> so after a trip to Wacky Town, we kind of go back into Heartwarming Town with episode 5, American Companion is a Wagon in Space Baby. Directed by Akemi Hayashi and written by Ichiro Okuchi. Uh, what do you think of what do you got with these guys? Oh, um, some some anime that Okuchi worked on here. We have Code Geass, Azumanga Daio, Part 5, Lupin, Dumbman Crybaby, Skate the Infinity. Um, directed by Akami, Akami Hayashi. Uh, they, did, they directed Banana Fish, which I still think that series is trapped in Amazon Prime hell. Jeez. I think so, yeah. Um, they did. They did work on Die Buster, Kids on the Slope, Utena, uh, Slam Dunk, and Skate the Infinity. Nice, love Skate the Infinity. And like we have these two helming this episode, but I'm actually surprised that Sayo Yamamoto didn't work on this, and you'll see why. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts off with the Aloha Oi getting impounded, and Dandy has to scrounge up some money to get the ship out, and he can do this by finding an unregistered alien called a Gentuan. But it's going to be hard, though, as a Gentuan is a very crafty alien, always managing to evade other alien hunters, and then ends up leaving them looking like fools. You know, doing the, the Jigglypuff thing of, like, knocking them out and then drawing on their faces. And then we meet this Gentuan as this is actually a little girl. This is Adele, played here by Jade Saxon, and she is cute as a bug's ear. Uh-huh, she's a little button. <laughs> and we do see her powers as uh, Gentuans can use the tentacles that kind of sprout from their heads, to zap their victims and then transfer their consciousness into something else. In this case, she puts uh, Dandy's consciousness into like this alien penguin plushie she carries around. Yeah, sorry, Dandy, but you have to you have to hunt down a snotty little brat for this episode. Yeah, damn little rugrats. <laughs> and also, there is actually uh, limits to her powers as it lasts only six minutes and sixty six seconds. <laughs> I laughed at that. <laughs> and she can only do it once per day. And uh, usually, the victims are all paralyzed with embarrassment to do anything but uh not dandy as in his plush form he lunges at her and manages to capture her (laughs) (laughs) and he celebrates by singing a little song here where he goes the boobies up boobies go up and down up and down up and down (laughs) (laughs) another amazing little song from ian sinclair (laughs) they were good little bits to put in the series they do (laughs) so uh since the ship is impounded dandy has to take a daily to the registration center by using public transportation we just set to take days. And it's even going to take longer as Adele wants to see someone before going to the registration center. And it's going to be even more of a tougher trip because uh, she's kind of a brat and uh, Dandy's no good with kids. And uh, let's see here. 
long road trip with two characters. One's an adult who can't deal with kids and can have an attitude at times. The other is a sassy child that happens to be played by Jade Saxton in the dub. And we see them get to know each other throughout this long journey. It's Michiko and Hachin. That's all it is. <laughs> That's it. Dandy is Michiko and Adele is Hachin. Like, even their interactions are ripped straight out of Michiko and Hachin. Like, yeah, they kind of are. You know, all that's missing is Dandy and a daily kicking each other under a table, or a daily getting drunk off juice and calling a tr- calling a stripper toots. <laughs> <laughs> also, Dandy needed a childhood friend who turned into a cop and starts to arrest him, all while a, a crime syndicate is after them. <laughs> and all this is why I'm surprised Sayu Yamamoto didn't work on this because she directed Michiko and Hachin. Well, so she you... probably didn't want to repeat her works again. <laughs> <laughs> but she'll gladly let other people do so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but like Michiko and Hachin, like this episode, the heart of this episode is actually the bonding time between Dandy and the Daily, and it's actually very cute. And we actually get like some nice little montages between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Well, this is where like the series art design really gets to flex and show like its worth because they it means that they uh, they get to it means that Dandy and his merry companion here <laughs> get to take a slow little journey through space. And space in the series looks gorgeous. It's yes, it beautiful. does. A whole mishmash of colors, like jumbled together, that all just that all just paints a gorgeous tapestry of this universe we live in. I mean, the the art design for space in the series is just glorious. Like, there are so many shots in this episode and in the series in general where, like, you can just take a screenshot and maybe just put it up on your wall just to admire just all the work that went into it, and it's it's just gorgeous. A lot of good lo-fi looking space <laughs> backgrounds in the series. And all of this is, like, taking place on, like, a space train that's actually, like, flying through the galaxy, too. Yeah, it's it makes... This this is, like, a very cozy episode. And I do like the little moments between Dandy and Adelie starting to warm up to each other, you know? Earlier in, like, their scenes together, they're, like, arguing about, like, what to put on eggs, hot sauce, or salt and pepper. But then, like, later in, in the montage, Adelie puts hot sauce on her eggs, and she actually, actually likes it. I mean, they're all wrong. It's clearly salt and pepper. Yeah. That's <laughs> the right answer. I mean, I put hot sauce on my eggs, so... There you go. Blasphemer. <laughs> <laughs> if that if if that's being wrong, then I don't want to be right. If they're Ooh. if they're bad eggs, you put to be, you put hot sauce on them. Nah, it gives them an extra kick. <laughs> <laughs> There's even a really nice bit where they arrive at a local space carnival and they take like photos together, which uh, come back later in the episode. And just like Michiko and Hachin, Adeli is an orphan and on the search for for her only other known family member. Though here it's her grandfather rather than her father. And there's even a scene where she goes to a place where she thinks he lives, but we find out he, that he doesn't live there anymore. And there's totally a scene in Michiko and Hashim where that happens. I just ripped straight from it. Exactly. <laughs> and Dandy actually starts to care about this little kid here. You know, so much so that he goes out on his own to look for her grandfather. Like, he pretends that he's going to boobies instead, but he wants to surprise her. So he's, like, going, you know, throughout the city, asking people, saying, like, hey, have you seen this guy? Or do you know the guy who lived in this apartment here? He's not heartless. He's got. He's got. He's got a huge old heart. He does. But uh, this little white lie here actually upsets Adele because she feels that uh, Dandy doesn't actually care about her. So yeah. the next day, Dandy says they need to go to the train station at a specific time, as there's been a slight change of change of plans. So not going to the registration center, but uh, Adele reads that as Dandy's just up and abandoning her, and she gets mad, uses her power to transfer Dandy into the plush again, and then just tosses it away just fuck this guy how dare he but it's like 
it's actually really sad where she like goes into an alley and she starts crying and it's like oh come on yeah you hate to see it like she didn't want to say goodbye to dandy ah things were going so well but unfortunately adeli bumps into some alien hunter she messed with beforehand and now they're back to capture her and then dandy goes to save her but he's still in the penguin plush so we see this little penguin plush waddling around this train station trying to capture these alien hunters. Yeah. It even scary. flies, too. Yeah. A cute little sequence where he's trying to stop them. Yeah. And, um, and also, uh, Danny can't really talk, but he can still make noises, so while he's in this penguin plush form, you just have Ian Sinclair making these penguin squawks going, <laughs> but then his mind goes back into his body, and then Danny has to, like, rush back again to go save her. <laughs> But thankfully, Adeli is helped by a peculiar old man, as it's another Gentuan, and it's her grandpa. <laughs> as uh, Dandy found him and set up this meeting between the two, so he wasn't going to abandon her, he was, just, he was just trying to reunite the both of them. Yeah. And they actually have a very sweet goodbye, which I will splice you in, because it's very nice. Mm-hmm. Frozen tangerines make a great traveling snack, you know. Okay. Well, see ya. You two have a good life together. We're not going to the registration center? Nah, never mind that. But what about all that money? Eh, I'll just find another alien. Can't be too hard. <sighs> you be good, okay? Ciao. Dandy, hold on! Yeah? Do you think I... Could I crew for you on the Aloha Oi? Don't be stupid, kid. We don't take whiny little brats aboard my ship. Well, maybe once I'm grown up? Yeah. If you grow up into a big-breasted, curvy-ass woman, then we can talk. You'll see. And then, I'll hunt you down. And overall, this is just a really cute episode. Yeah, pretty cute. This oozes with cute. Yeah. Well, see, it just goes to show that, like, this show is not just a one-trick pony or anything. Yeah, it's not, it's just, not one just It's not just, like, comedy all the time. No, it's they, not. They, they can do, like, fun... They can do cute little stories to flesh out Dandy and show that he has a bit of a human side. Right, they're, they're not restricting themselves to one animator, and they're not restricting themselves to one kind of story. And that's the beauty of Space Dandy. Like, you just get... It's like a grab bag of, like... You get everything stories. you could want in this yeah, series. Yeah, it's a... It's like you get a little bit of everything. It's like, even if you don't like one episode, there's definitely an episode that's definitely for you. And it's always going to look good, too. It's always going to be beautiful. Even when they kind of cheap out on animation, which we won't get to until next season, but even then, that still looks good. And also, if you've never seen Michiko and Hachin, then this episode is probably the best advertisement for that entire series. Mm, it kind of is. Like, I, I say, watch Michiko and Hachin. It's very underrated, and I wish more people talked yeah, about it. Yeah, check out Michiko and Hachin, please. It's very good. Yeah. Following up on that, we have episode six, the War of the Undies and the Vests, baby. Baby. Directed by Michio Maihara and story by Michio, Michio Maihara and teleplayed by Dai Sato. Yeah, this guy, Mihara, he 
he was part of the alien design team for the show. Did a lot of stuff on this and did a lot of stuff on this episode. Even script, storyboard, episode director, animation director, art design, alien design, key animation, story drafting. Does a lot for it. Does a lot for this one. But uh, he hasn't really directed much of any, like, actual episodes. But, like, some of the names of shows that he's worked on here include Beastars, Kaiba, Kickheart, Paranoia Agent. Hey, those are good. Those are really those are good. good. They're good stuff. And he's and he's worked on those, at least in some, form, in, in some form or fashion. Yes, Kickheart rules. Very underrated. Yeah. Very underrated. My God. And also, once again, Daisato coming in to, like, do the teleplay, so assuming, like, he was told the story and then he was just Mm -hmm. penning it out for him. Yep, exactly. And this is a weird episode. This is fucking strange. (laughs) This whole premise is odd. (laughs) But it's a simple premise, though. It really is. But it's just executed really weird. (laughs) Like, it starts off with the crew talking about Dandy having these space surfboards, despite the fact that they've never seen him surf. And then QT calls him a shooby, which gave me, like, war flashbacks to Rocket Power. Power. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, no. I got that, too. One of the few words that series taught me. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Shooby. I'm getting flashbacks to Shooby Taylor, the human horn. (laughs) Like, all that's missing is they could have done, like, the cutaway with, like, the text, and they, and you just hear, <laughs> and they all needed to do the, the, the tickling your balls. It's like the old school version of Scissor Me, Daddy. Nowhere near as good. No, no. But uh, Dandy, he says he's no shooby, as he's a kahuna. He is a kahuna. <laughs> a lot of uh, California surf lingo here. <laughs> mm-hmm, baby. As he's uh, waiting for that Mondo wave. <laughs> so that's why he's he hasn't surfed yet. God damn rocket power. <laughs> <laughs> and then this turns into an episode where the crew end up on the moon of a destroyed planet, and the only inhabitants are these two aliens from opposite factions who went to war. And, and the war is about which is better. Undies or vests? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> they just really, both sides either really hate vests or really hate underwear. It's, it's so weird. And they fought each other so much so to the death that there's only one member from each faction alive on this moon right now. <laughs> But it's 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 a universally it's a I think it's a I think it's actually a much more universal message here in general though because like this series sure. really this theory, this this episode really epitomizes the uh, the correct opinion that uh, vests are probably the most important uh, article of clothing out there. I mean, yeah, especially if they're waistcoats. What do you think I'm wearing under underwear underneath this getup? No, I'm going full commando here. No. <laughs> <laughs> Vests all the way, man. <laughs> I know it's side of that war I'll be on. <laughs> You'll die on this hill. You will. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be no centrist in this conflict. No, we don't have fence sitters here. You're, you're, you're under your vestie. <laughs> I'll be on the undie side. <laughs> uh, we know who Meow and uh, Dandy side with as uh, Dandy's with the undie and Meow's with the vestie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Even though it's a totally arbitrary conflict too, even they get like really heated in this like conflict, even though they have no stakes in it. No. Yeah, and also uh, the Undie is played here by uh, Barry Endell, and uh, the Vestian is played by Sunny Straight. And like, I do like the bit where like the Undie brings in Dandy to like his faction, and he just 
He just takes his clothes off and leaves him in his underwear for the entire episode. Yeah, both yeah. aliens just kind of rudely grope uh, Dandy and Meow in this moment. Dandy in his underwear. I mean, you know, you gotta spread the fan surface around. Yeah, might I say that his underwear design is kind of perfect. Just two lightning bolts pointing at his dick. And I love that he wears briefs and not boxers. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just funnier. I love him. Like, all that's missing, like, it would be even better if it were, like, tidy whiteies. Yeah, that'd be funnier. Way funnier. <laughs> I don't know what it is about... Ti- yeah, I don't know what it is about tiny whiteies. It's just funny! So, that just make them so why. less dignified than, like, like any other color of briefs. Maybe it's, like, a case of boxers kind of look like shorts, so it kind of looks like you're wearing more clothes, whereas with briefs, they they really hug the crotchal region, so you kind of look more naked with oh, them that's, on. I could, I could agree to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they hug a bit more. Yeah. Though I don't pick a side. I switch between both. Oh, and also white. <laughs> the, one, the one worst thing about white that no one tells you, easier to stain. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. You're going to get shit all over that, baby. Oh, yeah. You need to get some bleach for that one. Yeah, you think some stains in that will, like, just go away with some simple soap? No. Like you got to you gotta apply bleach constantly to those. Okay there, it you go. <laughs> <laughs> While I was going through this episode again, I remember it, it being odd when I first watched it, and then watching it again, I'm just like, yeah, this is a really odd episode. It really <laughs> is. It isn't my favorite of the series, that's for sure. It, but I did like the bit where Dandy and Meow get into like a fist fight while yeah. the aliens fight in their spaceships. <laughs> you just seen Dandy in his underwear, just him and Meow just kind of like throwing throwing hands, going at it, yeah. <laughs> and they're terrible fighters too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, I did kind of like the bit where Dandy and Meow decide, okay, we want to bring peace between these two factions, so they convince them to to a peace conference by each of them. Spending the night in bed with, like, the respective alien. <laughs> and they yeah. all have, like, they all look like honeymoon suites that they're in. It's so funny. They have, like, romantic pillow talk. Yeah, they did. So, like, they convinced them to sign a peace treaty, but according to galactic law, the treaty can only be sealed if both aliens relinquish their clothing as their most prized possession to each other. Here we go. And we get an awkward scene of the Undie and the Vestian just slowly awkwardly taking off their clothes and then just handing it to the other and then disgustedly trying to put them on and then going i can't do this this sucks and then they just start fighting (laughs) just rips their clothes and they go back to warring (laughs) and then they just start fist fighting each other and then it reaches a point where they both have rocks over their heads like giant boulders they plan to throw them but they're so tired that they drop the boulders on their heads Killing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Just a wild ending. But before they die, they activate doomsday missiles that yep. they have pointed at the moon, which blows up the entire moon. But then Dandy and Meow escape when QT throws Dandy a surfboard, and Dandy finally catches that Mondo wave surfing through space through all of the debris of this destroyed moon. Well, a really nice music track plays. And it's very gorgeously animated. Very, very, very good. I mean, the, the original music tracks in the series, like, legitimately awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I would totally buy music an great. OST of the show. And also the scene gave me big Eureka 7 vibes, because there's a lot, a lot of scenes of characters surfing through space. Good surf animation. Yep. Very nice. Yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's easily the best part of this episode, is the surfing part. I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all don't, like, really, like, y'all are really underestimating this really good political commentary, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Never have I seen better, uh, more, uh, more universal political commentary since Dr. Seuss's The Better Butter War. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, this whole thing is just an allegory for the Cold War. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, and them destroying the moon was them tearing down the Berlin Wall. <laughs> <laughs> All the episode was missing was just a Morse code ret message that uh, that spells out the words uh, M <laughs> M A D, mutually assured destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, probably the weakest episode of the season, but ending was very good. And also fitting because, you know, I made the comparison to ARX 7. This was, uh, the teleplay was by Daisato, so maybe that was a little thing he added. You could see that, yeah. maybe, Or maybe he was pitched that idea and decided, I want to run with that. Possibly. But uh, we are roughly at the halfway point of season one. A little over. I mean, we're at the quarter point of the entire series. Quarter point of the entire yeah, series. holy shit! So you guys want to take a break right now? Uh, yeah, I think so. So, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we'll be back with the rest of Space Dandy Season 1, baby. Only the Summer Tsunami on Anime Baby. Encountering alien beings and then capturing them for money. Bring it on! Alien hunting is a dangerous line of work, requiring cunning, stealth, and above all, subtlety. But no one's ever called our hero subtle. They do call him Dandy. Space Dandy. New idea. Run away! for the dramatic, a love for the ladies, and one sweet head of hair. That's the Dandy way. No one out Dandy space Dandy. As Dandy and his crew race through the galaxy aboard the Aloha Oi, they search for fame. Boobies, of course. Fortune. I need boobies, nothing more. And, of course, boobies. You mean that restaurant with the jiggly waitresses and the not-so-hot wings? You got it. These are the tales of their adventures. From the creators of Soul Eater, Full Metal Alchemist, and Cowboy Bebop, Toonami is proud to present the world premiere of Space Dandy, starting January 4th at 11.30. Can you spot me some cash? Only Toonami on Adult Swim. The search for exotic aliens never ends. Now for more Space Dandy. Let's go back. One, two, three, yeah! Pretty. Do the monkey with me. 
later, baby. Yeah, whatever. And we're back, baby, with the second half of Space Dandy Season 1. And we're coming in with Episode 7, A Race in Space is Dangerous, Baby. Directed by So Toyama and written, once again, by Kimiko Ueno. Uh, what do you got on So Toyama? Um, we have also storyboarded by Goro Tanaguchi, just as mentioned. Here, he is one of the main directors at Sunrise, actually. Um, this guy worked. He is the creator and director of Code Geass, and he most recently directed One Piece Film Red. Hey! hey. So, Toyama, he... It says here I have he did he did various he directs various anime episodes including episodes of uh, March comes in like a lion hey. Nagatoro Platinum Men and 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 three episodes of Love Live Sunshine hell yeah hey. oh man that's awesome freaking sweet <laughs> so uh, remember in our Outlaw Star episode I said uh, that space race episode was just the first of many races this summer. We got another one. Here's a hey. wacky races in spaces. Wacky races in spaces, baby. And I want to say I do love the opening bit to this episode where, like, uh, we get the shot of Honey and Boobies just looking so shocked but happy to see someone, and Dandy thinks it's him. Of course he does. And I will splice it in because I just love the wordplay here. Yeah, go on. I came yesterday, and I came today, too. And don't you worry, I'm sure I'll come tomorrow, baby. She wasn't talking about Dandy as she and the other boobies waitresses rush over to this hotshot racer. As uh, we're introduced to this episode's character of the day, the glamorous Bishonen racer Prince, played here by Eric Vale. Oh, he's too sparkly. So many sparkles. Oh my god. And Prince, you know, are we gonna let the elevator bring us down? Oh no, let's go. Let's go crazy. Let's get go crazy. Look for the purple banana before they put us in the truck. Let's go. <laughs> gotta make it. Gotta gotcha make it. Yeah, I gotta. <laughs> but yeah, Dandy, he's a super jelly of Prince here because, you know, Honey and all the boobies waitresses are just fawning all over him. You know, he thinks he's so hot with his dashing good looks, long sparkling blue space hair, and deep blue eyes I just want to swim in. <laughs> it's not all that great. So what does Dandy want to do? Wants he to wants to become a racer too, in order to impress the ladies at boobies. <laughs> you know, spite and jealousy are powerful allies. <laughs> so he enters the upcoming space race, and this space race is pretty much... One-to-one -one with the space race from that Outlaw Star episode. Uh-huh. Even with them having to go through these, like, checkpoint gates. Yeah, it kind of is. Kind of is, yes. Well, then again, how else are you going to do a do a race in space without gates to pass through? That's true. You don't have, like, a track or anything to keep Otherwise, track. people just go around the route. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one's... you you got to have gates in space if you're going to race. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the alternate title to this episode. A <laughs> little long, but... 
We'll, we'll go with it. It goes. It rolls off the tongue, though. As we see uh, Prince's team, and he's also got rivals for QT and Meow as well. As he has a state-of-the-art robot named Zed, played here by Lindsay Seidel. And his rat-like alien lawyer named Squeak, played here by Tyson Reinhardt. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Squeak! He looks like Mickey Mouse. He And does. he's also a lawyer. <laughs> it is so funny. That's oh my very god. That's a, that's a very appropriate portrayal. Like one of his first lines is, better watch what you say or I'll sue you. <laughs> <laughs> It so looks like Mickey. It's very funny. But legally distinct, you know, different facial features. Yep. And he has like a little lo- law logo on his left ear. Yes. You know, he's an original character like Ricky Rouse or Ronald Muck. Miserable <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mikey. Yes. <laughs> no, that's me when the Vikings lose. Uh, but uh, this group is called CCH, which stands for Cool, Clever, and High Spec. Named after each of the members here. While Dandy's team is called BBP, which stands for Blockhead, Bonehead, and Pinhead. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Baka, Bonkara, and uh, Ponkutsu, yep. which is in the Japanese version there. That it is. <laughs> Great job for making that work. And uh, this actually does stick with them throughout the rest of the series. Like, even the narrator calls them Blockhead, Bonehead, and Pinhead at certain episodes. Yep, it does <laughs> stick with them. And it's perfect. Like, that's, Great. that's who they are. It works. And the announcer for this race, this little plant alien spaceman played by Patrick Seitz, I love that he's such a mark for Prince and his team. Yeah, very, very not biased. You know, just like as soon as the race starts, he's all like, Prince takes an early lead. God, I hope he wins. <laughs> probably get a nice job uh, uh, doing color commentary for uh, the Blitzball tournament in Besaid. Yeah, I've never seen a team this bad. <laughs> <laughs> And then, as this race is going on, Dandy pulls off the, these kind of dick dastardly like tricks and just starts cheating immediately, <laughs> like using a of fishing course roll, he does. using a, a fishing pole to like gain an early lead, or like using missiles to like launch himself forward. <laughs> and he even runs afoul of one of the racers, who's like this weird, sexy dominatrix lady who drives like a high heel. <laughs> yeah, he's I try love every, that ship. He's gonna try every trick in the book. That ship is the best. And then Dr. Jill and B join the race to, to catch Dandy. Yeah. But then they end up getting, like, two into the race, too. And, yeah. like, yeah. lose track of the situation. Yeah, like, they pass Dandy at one point, and, and Dr. Jill's like, yeah, we're winning, B! <laughs> and then throughout this entire race, uh, we see Prince, you know, he's starting to take a bit of a shine to Dandy, you know? Like, how Dandy is just so tenacious and everything, and Prince is all like, huh, this guy... Something about this guy right here. There is something. There's something about the way he smells. <laughs> <laughs> the, the attitude he carries himself with. <laughs> it's the, the scent of uh, chicken wings. <laughs> Thought gained. Homosexual underground. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> I mean, that's funny to you, but you won't understand that. Either. I kind of get it. I know what you're referencing. <laughs> And then this race turns into uh, Galaga at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> Speaking of which, there was a Space Dandy Galaga mobile game. There was. Ah, <laughs> sweet. Yep, uh, Space Galaga, which is, it is just literally Galaga with like a Space Dandy coat of paint on it. Yeah, because like <laughs> that's Bandai, all you need. Yeah, because Bandai Namco is one of the uh, producers of this show. <laughs> and it was available both here and in Japan. And I remember when uh, Space Dandy was airing. 
I tried to download it, but my phone at the time was just too crappy. It couldn't run it. Oh, oh no, man. Yeah, I, I had a Samsung Galaxy 3, so. Shame. Rip. Couldn't, couldn't handle it. Wouldn't get an iPhone until years later. Mm-hmm. And then there's a point where uh, the racers pass through a planet full of aliens, and then they just start shooting at them. <laughs> you know? It's like, NASCAR fans, just practicing my constitutional rights. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, but there's not enough people demanding butthole. No. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't understand their alien language. Maybe they were yelling, show me your butthole. Reveal your rectum! <laughs> All while drinking out of a shoe as well. <laughs> and it's called a shoey. <laughs> And some of them are also just chanting fuck Joe Biden for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> fuck Cal Bush! <laughs> yeah, they hate him too. And it's like, he's not in the race, guys. Come on. <laughs> fuck Space Cal <laughs> And then at one point, Honey even joins the race too. And she's dressed like uh, Penelope Pitstop from Wacky Races. Uh, it's ever so brief. But, like, of course. That was a cute little cameo. And I love her weird little... Sex car with like limbs kind of forming like so <laughs> All of these shift designs are the best. Like it's They're fantastic. It's full on wacky races, but I'm just sitting here going all like, ah, oh, where's the where's the anthill mob or Pat Pending or Peter Perfect and the gruesome twosome? You know, where's those guys? <laughs> and also if uh, Dandy he's like dick dastardly in this race, I guess that makes a uh, QT like his mutley. <laughs> sure. Or that make meow is Muttley. Ah, mm. he's much more Muttley than QT. Yes. You know, QT can be one of like those other like uh, pilots that was in the Dick Dastardly spinoff. You know, maybe the guy who invents stuff and never talks. <laughs> <laughs> so Dandy then just he just starts killing racers left and right by just launching, just like crashing into them and then using the ensuing explosion to propel them forward. <laughs> yep. I that's mean, you one laugh, way to like move this, forward. You laugh, but this is like a this is a strategy that Speed Racer would totally use. Oh, oh yeah, would, a thousand million percent. He would be so proud of Dandy's complete disregard for life in this race. Just like him, his goal in this race is not to is not just to win, but to kill every racer along his way to ensure that he is the winner. And you know, <laughs> and you know there is a masked racer amongst these like racers here. Although what's missing is him to, just to say use the brake, <laughs> but Dandy never u- uses the brake. And there's also a great bit where, like, he and Prince are chatting while the race is going on, and then he just flips off Prince, and we get, like, a blurred middle finger, too. <laughs> and he says, go suck on it, you arrogant little cockroach. <laughs> and this makes Prince go, like, oh, 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 how dare you? And then, now the, and then the announcer starts to, starts to like Dandy a bit more. He's all like, what's this? Dandy has, has took his way into the lead and into my heart. I say, go to hell, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Looking out for number one. And then during a pit stop, Squeak, you know, he's looking to do some damage to sabotage Dandy. And he pulls a bit of a Sonic Riders here by strapping a bomb underneath uh, Dandy's ship here. A bit of like what Wave does to Sonic in that game. This is where things just start to get wild. Yeah, this the, the rest of this episode just kind of goes crazy. So Dandy and Prince, they're pretty much at the like final stretch of this race. And they're just going like completely neck and neck. And then at one point they start ditching stuff to make their ship lighter. And that includes both QT and his robot Zed. (laughs) Goodbye, QT. (laughs) And they're all like, that wasn't nice, as they're floating in space. (laughs) And then things get hot in more ways than one, as Prince starts to feel something about Dandy. You know, just getting to know him throughout this race, just feeling how Dandy just has this passion for racing. Maybe this is love. Ooh. It's not hard to be gay for Dandy. I mean, you know, anyone would go gay for Dandy. Oh, God, yeah. 
It, but yeah, it's like it's it's the gayest thing in the series by a mile, and I'm all for it. Yep. <laughs> then Same. Then Squeak detonates the bomb. The explosion launches Dandy right into Prince, and he hits him from behind. And then the drill sound effect from Gurren Lagann plays as he plows him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Plowed from behind at the seventh space velocity. And we get a close-up shot of Prince, and it looks like he just had an orgasm. <laughs> He's like, ah. Which then, and then the narrator explains how this causes a bizarre chain, of re- chain reaction, because uh, Meow puts some, like, really weird fuel in Dandy Ship, which is just a mix of, like, all bunch of stuff. A, a whole bunch of random shit he can find. <laughs> and the explosion and, in the fu- and the fuel somehow combine to send Dandy 5.67 billion years into the future yep just accept it we're going with it and then we just have this closing shot of dandy wandering in like this almost desert like planet and then comes across a giant buddha statue that looks like him and all i can say is dandy and that's how it ends yeah i say say, what people people were thinking like he might have. He. I remember people were talking about how he might be some sort of Buddha figure. Yeah, that was, that also added to like that the was weird a fan theory at the time <laughs> of this series. But like people wondering, like, is he dead? Is he alive? How does he keep coming back? Is I mean, I will say this? right now, in retrospect, you did not need to have fan theories about space. Dating. No, <laughs> it doesn't matter, baby. It's Just like go with the flow. Baby. Y'all are overthinking this a little too. Didn't hard. forget the dandy way. Yeah, but also just it's like, go with the flow. Go baby. with the flow. But at the same time, that kind of made things a little fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People trying to like piece together. Yeah, trying the show. to like trying to flow chart it. Oh man! Like, there's something cute about people trying to find deeper meaning in Space Dandy. It's like they all think it's Gravity Falls or something. <laughs> I mean, it was airing at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> so you're probably in that mood thinking like, oh, every cartoon can maybe be like this. Exactly. And then every fandom from that point onward was just the worst fucking thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Well, let's see. We, we don't believe in religion anymore. So <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's replace that with fandom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so after that trip to Wacky Town, we get we come down a little come bit. Come down a bit more. Back down to Earth, kind of, sort of. With uh, episode 8, The Lonely Pooch Planet Baby, directed by Hiroshi Shimizu and written by Keiko Nobumoto. Uh, Shimizu has one of the longest ANN pages I've ever seen, but has only directed a few uh, actual episodes of anime. Um yeah, but if I recall, Did the screenwriter, not... though, has some good credits. To oh, God, the screenwriter, though, is Kiku Nobumoto. Long, long, long time collaborator of of uh, Watanabe. She was the head writer of Cowboy Bebop, Macross Plus, and Wolf's Reign, and collaborated with Satoshi Kone on, on Tokyo Godfathers, a.k.a. the best Christmas movie ever. Yes, yep. that's true. <laughs> Screw you, Die Hard. Tokyo Godfathers. <laughs> but unfortunately, she died this past December. Oh. And uh, not really going to get any more uh, uplifting here. As uh, Do you guys know the story of Laika the Space Dog? Yes, I do. Uh, do you care to care, tell us a little bit about her? Um, all I know is that it was a cute dog that got sent into space by Russians and died. 
Yep. Yep. yep she was a casualty of the space race between the Soviet Union and the United States, and she was set to be one of the first animals in space and the first animal to orbit Earth. And uh, she was only just a stray mongrel that they found in the streets of Moscow. And, like, she was just selected to be up aboard uh, Sputnik 2, fly on a low orbit. But, uh, unfortunately, because it was the 50s at the time, they didn't really have anything prepared for, like, to let living things survive in space. They, they were also severely lacking in things like animal rights. <laughs> yeah, <That> so, too. <laughs> so within hours of the flight, she died of either overheating or uh, suffocation, and then eventually kind of burned up in the atmosphere. So, yeah... And this episode is actually very much related to that story of Laika and kind of almost tries to, like, give, like, a bit of a happy ending here, you know. At least the first half does. At least the first half. So, but first we start off with some fun bits where uh, B shows off this tracker to Dr. Gel, and it's also a turntable that can produce sick beats and also fire <laughs> missiles. <laughs> yes. And missiles fly right out of the ball gag of the Statue of Liberty ship. It's so good. So, remember that as it'll come back later. So, the crew finds himself on a deserted planet full of trash and garbage called Planet Machina. And we even have, like, a nice little Easter egg as Meow finds the fridge from the Cowboy Bebop episode, Toys in the Attic. Yeah, uh, that, that was a neat little appearance. And, like, he even opens up the fridge, too, and, like, the little creature that was inside that pretty much killed the entire Bebop crew in that episode sprouts out, and then Meow goes to chase it and eats it. <laughs> Pretty tasty, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it was a food that Spike did buy that kind of gain sentience because he left it in the fridge too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, nice little Easter egg there. And fitting because the fridge was launched out out of the Bebop into space at the end of the episode. So it makes sense that it ended up on this planet here. Again, the Watanabe universe. Yeah. <laughs> and then Dandy finds his dog. And yeah, this dog is heavily, heavily implied to be Laika. Like, this is where she ended up after her initial like launch into space. Yeah, very heavily implied. Such a cute pupper. Little cutie. Mm-hmm. And Dandy has this little great line right here. This, he goes, you're a chick dog. Say what they will about me, but I can always spot a bitch. <laughs> like, Jesus, I, 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 that got me. Uh, you just had to, Dandy. He just had, yeah, of course he did. He had to use the technical term, I guess, <laughs> for a female dog. And then Dandy makes friends with this little little puppy poo right here. It's, and he plays with her, plays fetch and everything, and it's just the cutest. Just Dandy playing with this little doggy. It's a simple little moment for, this, uh, for a series like this. And then he uh, uses a translator so that the dog can communicate with him. And she's actually played here by uh, Caitlin Glass. So Dandy wants to keep the pup, but uh, sadly it's not really meant to be, as she doesn't really have long to live. She's a very old dog at this point. Mm-hmm. And it gets really sad how the pooch talks about how she always thought humans hated her and how she felt abandoned, which does relate to the Laika story. And then Dandy came along and she was able to, to enjoy her last moments of life. Like, you know, she led a sad life, but she ended up dying very happy and content because she found the only friends that ever she ever made in the world. Aww. Very good. And Dandy and the crew give her a proper burial, too. Just, ah, man. Heartbreaking. And I do remember that shot of them, like, as they watched the spaceship go into space. You know, that was used in a lot of, like, Toonami promos because it's a great shot of, like, all three members of the crew standing side by side at it sunset. Is, it is quite nice. It's lovely. Even the narrator tears up at all, the, all of this as he explains the oh, backstory yeah. of Laika. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like, the real story of Laika, it's, it's very, very cruel and tragic, and there's definitely no happy ending there. But it was honestly very nice of, like, the Space Dandy team to, like, you know 
come up with this what if story and kind of give her a happy ending. Mm-hmm. You know, have people think about her and remember her. It was very sweet. Very sweet. But enough saying this. Let's get back to space dandy wackiness. <laughs> mm-hmm. As uh, Meow soon discovers that he picked up a pair of Machinians, uh, the Lefley brothers from uh, the Puppy's Fur. And uh, one of the brothers is played by Dave Trosco, and the other is played by a guy who went to jail for something really, really bad. Oh, <laughs> what? Uh, I'll cut this out, but uh, he went to jail for Whoa! Yep. <laughs> okay! <laughs> the first of many kind of creepers that show up in the stuff that I re- that I started to realize. Damn. <laughs> uh, Anyways, anyway. we're back. <laughs> and then uh, hijinks ensue as the crew chases these fleas all around the ship. You know, at one point, the f- one of the fleas jumps into Dandy's hair as he's combing it, and then, like he kills it by rubbing gel in his hair and then combing it in his hair. So he kills one <laughs> flea accidentally. <laughs> also, Dandy got out of the shower, so he get a nice shot of his ass. Yeah, hell yeah. Hello. Again, keep the fan service going all around. Universal. <laughs> and then one, and then the living flea brother takes over QT and then starts using QT as kind of like a, I don't know, like a stand-in for himself right here. So he you didn't killed fight. my brother. Smash, smash, smash. <laughs> yeah, takes over the robot. <laughs> and then Dandy and Meow don't get it, so they're like, wait, when did QT have a brother? What's going on? <laughs> so then eventually they do manage to get the flea out of QT. And then Meow accidentally steps on it and kills it. <laughs> and then QG deduces that the planet will collapse on itself and form a black hole because uh, the, these Machinians were the ones keeping this planet together. And then, <laughs> and then this whole planet just starts exploding. And then another planet gets destroyed. Yep, more planet destruction in space, Danny. Yep, as we get a, <laughs> a black hole that's supposed to suck everything. And then uh, Danny says, like, I always wanted to die by extreme sucking. <laughs> But then Dandy, you know, using the motivation from, like, all the ladies he's ever loved, except for Scarlet, not her. And it motivates him to fight and stay alive, and the crew manages to use the warp drive to get away from the black hole. <laughs> but then they pass by uh, Dr. Jill and B, and then they get sucked into the black hole as well. <laughs> you know, he tried to use the uh, the sick beats, but it uh, couldn't help him there. Sadly. No, because sadly, missiles are not immune to being sucked into a black hole. <laughs> Unfortunately. And also, B reveals that he didn't invent it. He just bought it online and bought it cheap, too. Yep. <laughs> B's a duck bumbling idiot, just like everyone else here. And it's like, at that moment, I, re- I kind of started to notice that, like, while everyone dies, I feel like Jell and B tend to die the most out of all the characters in the show. <laughs> uh, but then that brings us to episode nine, Plants Are Living Things Too, Baby. Director and story by... A Young Choi, and the teleplay is by uh, Shinichiro Watanabe. Yeah, we got Science Saru staff on this yep. one. Yeah. She is, of Woo! course, she co-founded Science Saru with Masaki Yuasa. Yeah, yeah. Mostly does production alongside him, but recently she directed Saru's contribution to Star Wars Visions. Oh. Uh, she co-directed that, that one episode of Adventure Time they did. Yes, oh, that's right. Yes. Kick Hard, of course, episodes okay. of Ping Pong, Kaiba. All sorts of things, and tell play by Watanabe himself. I love Science Saru, <laughs> and this won't be the last we see of them in this series. No, it's not. No, nope. it's not. Nope. <laughs> but they do such good, ex- like weird experimental shit at times. And, this and ex- you can't get any more experimental than this episode. This episode, this is where things get really psychedelic for the series. This, this, this episode rules. This is like 
it's it's incredible. This show just gets weirder and weirder as it goes, and it's amazing. Like the plot for this episode, it's pretty simple, but like you don't come to it for the plot. You come to it for like the actual visual, visual spectacle that it gives you. The the the, the very alien ambiance. Exactly. Like all the animators were told to just look under a microscope at plant cells and told, make that. <laughs> and they made it. And also in this episode, the crew is looking for the D. The D. Actually, a new alien named Code D, to be exact. So, now nah, they're looking for the D. Yeah, it's the D. <laughs> <laughs> so they beam down to this planet called uh, Planta. And, and the best part of this here is when they beam down... Um, because, like, the whole thing is, like, their beaming thing. It took, like, 30 minutes or whatever before. And then QT was like, oh, I've upgraded it. But the accuracy is off. <laughs> and then they come down looking like that. <laughs> and also, real nice touch is, is that uh, early in the episode, when they start off, everything looks kind of normal on the Aloha Oi. But as soon as they land on Planta, that's when things just get really wild. Like, that's when the art style shifts. Backgrounds mm. get simplistic. Like, a lot of the uh, figures they meet are non-representational. No, they're like these just big, abstract plant figures. Like, these are the inhabitants of this planet. And uh, some of these aliens are called Vegems. And Dandy meets this Vegem scientist named Dr. H, played by a dipshit who loves NFTs and conspiracy theories. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> My favorite kind of person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we also meet his uh, little plant daughter, who can't possibly be this cute, named 033H, played by Felicia Angel. And then, meanwhile, on like the other side of the planet, Meow meets these other group of aliens called uh, Movies. And uh, they're not as intelligent as the Vegems, but uh, they spend their time fattening up Meow as they just want to eat him. <laughs> they want to make foie gras. <laughs> yeah. And throughout the rest of this episode, it's just... Dr. H and his daughter helping Dandy look for the D, and we just get, like, all of these, like, psychedelic... It's just dripping in their style. The music itself also contributes I love the music in this episode. It is so goddamn good. It is, and it's it's so sci-fi, too. Like, everything is just so pretty about this episode. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of, like, the visuals of, like, Kaiba. Mm Mm-hmm. When you think about it. Yeah. Just all the colors, too, are just ridiculously good. And then there's, like, one point where, like, the group is halted and arrested by the Vegem leader called Kokamuka, played here by Jeremy Inman. And uh, the leader, he's not the nicest guy, but he has a name that's fun to say. Kokamuka. 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 Kokamunga. Walla Walla. Seattle. <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> and then they're saved by uh, Dr. H's friend named Nini, who they say she's in, like, the plant entertainment industry. <laughs> and I first thought, VeggieTales? <laughs> yeah you're a bit off from that yeah you're, you're <laughs> and then again rest of this episode is just admire the animation just take it all in here yeah i really don't have watching much this to episode say. feels it's... like you were transported into like a petri dish exactly it was right great it feels like the kind of episode you know state of minnesota they legalize gummies this feels like the episode where take a couple of those throw this on and have a grand old time uh-huh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then Dandy finds the D, as uh, Code D is actually a meteorite that has caused the planet's flora to evolve into intelligent beings. And then when Dandy removes the D, it inadvertently causes all the aliens to regress to, like, non-sentient organisms and just go back to their plant forms. And then that's it. 
That's basically it. Um, I also had Meow at the end, really fat, was incredibly cute. Yeah, fat Meow's great. Right, right. Meow inflation porn. (laughs) Good stuff. Yeah, that may be my favorite episode of the show to this point, honestly. It's like, it's probably one of the first of the real experimental episodes of the series. Oh yeah, definitely and they, is. And they get more and more they they do They do crazier things later. Yeah, this, this is, is only just, the beginning. This is just the appetizer. Of what, you can, of what can be done with Dandy. Yeah, this, this show, this is their way of saying, this is what we can do. And now when we do it again later, we're gonna go even harder. <laughs> I love the I love that that shot of Dandy just lying on that leaf. Oh yeah, that's a that is a nice shot. This one. Yeah. You can't see it, but this one. Looking high out of his mind. <laughs> he does look super high. Oddly enough though, one thing I saw pointed out is that uh the ninth episode of Samurai Shampoo was the drug one. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then uh, this is the ninth episode of Dandy. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> kind of funny how they kind of synced up like that. That's great. So after getting all trippy right there, we get to episode 10. There's Always Tomorrow, baby. Maybe. Directed by uh, Masayuki Miyagi and written by Kimiko Ueno. Welcome back. This Welcome is actually back. This is actually one of my favorites of the series. This Me is, too. This even, if it's, even if visually it's not like all that impressive, I, I, just, like the, I just like the writing in this one. Yeah, the only he hasn't done a ton of stuff, but he was the assistant director on Spirited Away. Ooh, and he also directed he also directed uh, uh, JP uh, No Name Show favorite Zammed <laughs> Cross Zammed. <laughs> Anyone remembers Zammed? <laughs> uh, but uh, so this episode is all about the crew of the Aloha Oi taking a special trip to Miyaza's uh, home planet of Beetlejuice. All right. And we get to meet Meow's family. And we got his mother, played here by Cynthia Krantz, who has a knack for playing anime moms as she's uh, Chi-Chi in Dragon Ball. Oh, hell yeah. And we also see that Meow has a few siblings, too. He has, like, two little brothers, a little baby sibling, a couple older sisters, and an older brother. And we, of course, meet his pops, Meow's dad, played by David Wald. I got a bit of a funny story that I remember from the uh, the comment, the English dub commentary for this episode. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember listening to this. Yeah, what is it? I, With, I've never uh, heard this. Joel McDonald, he's talking about how he cast David Wald as Meow's dad. And uh, basically, he went up to David because he knew he wanted him to play his dad. And he says, I want you, you're going to be playing my dad. And then the first thing David Wald says is, I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, uh, actually. He's good. He's good. <laughs> And also a really cute thing about Meow's family is that uh, they all call him Mew. Yeah. That's such like a typical family thing where like you have your regular name, but your family always calls you something like something like a nickname or something like that. What are you trying to say yours? <laughs> I mean, the reason I'm called Mikey is because my family calls me that. Oh, there you go. And they also kept uh, Meow's room just like he left it with all of his stuff intact, including like cassette tapes, fail tests, and a little gadget he made. And also, he has like a little essay he wrote when he was a little kid about how he wants to grow up to be just like his daddy. Aww. Aww. Isn't that lovely? It's a really cute scene where like uh, Meow's little brother is reading it out loud while Dandy is holding Meow back because he wants them to stop saying it. He's like, "No, mm-hmm. no, don't, don't say anything." No, but this is like the start of like some really good character art, character uh, work. This episode concerning uh, yeah, it's, Meow. it's good to learn more about our favorite. Space cat. Because you really feel like him coming back to like this hometown being all like, oh, I don't want to like think back to like everything I didn't live up to. Like that's a very real feeling. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, like there's 
I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this about, you know, growing up in a very quiet, uneventful town, you know, where everybody knows everybody, small mom and pop shops, and like the only notable places like the local bar or the local grocery store. And it's like, I need to get out of here. And you do, but then you come back after a while and it's all like, I wanted to escape you, but where I escaped to isn't really all that great either. So yeah. it's like, yeah. It's like, at least I know this place, you know? Not some weird out there world. Yeah. And also Meow's dad, he works at the local uh, factory owned by the family making screws. And Meow is next in line to take over the business and that's why he left. He didn't want to take over that and work a boring 9 to 5 job. And then, like, we also have moments where uh, Meow meets up with some, like, old friends from high school. Like, he meets up with his uh, childhood crush, Katie, played here by Leah Clark, and she works at a bar owned by an older woman named Lil Mama, played here by Wendy Powell. <laughs> and there's even bits where, like, later we meet uh, Meow's, uh, I describe him as, like, his stoner friends. <laughs> <laughs> the local loser kids. Yeah, that just hang the out. The local at, loser kids, yeah. That just hang out in front of the convenience store all night. Who just, who after high school just never left the area and just kind of bummed around. Just became professional slackers. <laughs> and there's also a great bit where they're in this bar and then Dandy tells Meow's dad about boobies. And Meow is just so embarrassed because he doesn't want to hear his dad talk about boobs. You know, he's all like, don't you say that word. What word? Boobs? What's so unappealing about hearing your elderly father talk about boobs? <laughs> I like boobs. <laughs> yeah. Throughout this day back home, you know, he's just he's just really feeling down about this meow. He's just like he's just like, I hate this place. I don't want to be in this backwater town. I left for a reason. Why am I here? I kind of went through a bit of this feeling too. Like, you know, my first year of college, I went back home for the first time, and it's just it does come with this odd feeling. Like, I like my hometown, but it's just like I left, but now I'm back. It's it's just weird. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. It's an understandable feeling. And even that times where I bump into, like, old classmates from high school, and it's like, I'm pleasantly surprised, but it's also, like, it's odd. It's like, I'm different, you're different, everything is different. Uh-huh, I hear ya. It's like, we're not the same people we once were before. This all feels, this is an alien experience. It really is. And then comes, uh, the next day when everything repeats itself. Oh, here we go. And then it happens again. And again. And again, what's going on here? Well, the calendar in Meow's house was struck by a wayward blast of Pionium energy sparked by a battle between the Golgol and Jikro empires. And this causes the events of that day to endlessly repeat themselves on a time loop. <laughs> Space Dandy is doing the Endless Eight! <laughs> and it's even better, it is the eighth day. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, every day you just needed to start with someone saying, count your phone. <laughs> and fans everywhere just going, no. Not this again. Not again. <laughs> Honestly, one of the best things that ever in anime. It's like, I hate them for it, but I also applaud them because they just had the gall to do the that. Audacity, the, the audacity. The audacity. To like, just string people along for eight weeks. To think this was a good idea. It was a good idea. Squander her budget. <laughs> because he couldn't repeats. Because he couldn't fit the movie into a multi-episode arc. <laughs> so smart. Oh my god. But thankfully, Space Dandy has the decency not to do eight goddamn episodes of the same events. They they just they just do it for a few minutes. And uh, I will splice in the realization of this of the time loops because it is a great moment. 
And I'm sure you've all caught on by now. The strong magnetic fields generated by the Pionium blast twisted the fabric of time and space into a Mobius, thus causing our heroes to become trapped in a space-time loop. Basically, they're repeating the same day over and over again. Though no surprise, Blockhead, Bonehead, and Pinhead have yet to notice this themselves. You'd think Bonehead might be the first to suspect this being his home planet, but no. Actually, it was Pinhead who, on the 88th loop, finally thought to ask, Is it me, or does every day here seem like the same thing over and over? I think it just feels that way because this joint is so monotonous. Makes sense. They still didn't get it. Until finally, on the 108th loop... That's weird. <laughs> the glass is gonna break. break. Oh, I'm sorry. <gasps> Dad's here. Yeah. I have a feeling that Meow's dad loves boobies. Hey, I do love boobs. I keep sensing what's about to happen. Is this the sixth sense? Are we psychic now? Even better. I think we totally have superpowers. No, you idiots do not have superpowers. You're in a loop, a time loop. Get it through your heads and get on with the story. Sorry. And thus, our intrepid heroes finally noticed they were in a time loop. I know what's going on here. I think we have superpowers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then the narrator has to interject and tell them, no, you idiots, you're stuck in a time loop. Get on with the story. Again, the narrator being awesome. And then the crew is all like, we're sorry. <laughs> so yeah, the crew has been looping over a hundred times at this point. <laughs> Wild. And we get multiple great moments of them trying to break the time loop. Like, we have a moment where... They steal a car from Meow Stoner friends, and then they die in an accident, only to wake up the next day still in the time loop. No, but it's Groundhog Day rules. It is. <laughs> it is. You know, you just needed a moment where, like, Dandy just, like, drops a toaster into a bathtub. Or, like, a moment where, like, he runs into someone and just punches him in the face. <laughs> or, like, moments where here in this episode where they're just physically trying to rip the calendar page off of it. But it is stuck. And then Meow just then kind of... You know, he just kind of resigns himself to this fate right here. He just accepts that he's stuck in a loop, so he might as well just make the most of it and enjoy his time here. You know, wake up, work at the factory with his dad, grab a drink at the bar afterwards, and then do the same thing tomorrow. But he weirdly gets, like, a bit more uh, respect for, like, his dad and, like, his family. He does, like, the way of life yeah. out there. He does, and I do... Like, he begins to understand them a bit more. And I do like the moment where, like, he finally works at the factory with his dad, and he kind of thinks to himself, you know, I thought my dad was always the coolest, but then I changed, but now I'm starting to maybe think that again, you know, they made, them making screws together was nice, you know, and Meow makes like a little crooked one. <laughs> Those little fucked up It's the moment you screw. realize your parents are human, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We get a great moment right here, like one of my favorite little Meow moments, where Meow is getting drunk and hanging out with Katie at the bar, and then he drunkenly rambles about them of hooking up and getting married, and he's all like, yeah, I'm just kidding, I got jokes. And then she says, she can't do that. And he's like, what? I was just kidding. He's like, no, I, I thought you knew. I'm gay. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. And she's dating little mama, the owner of the bar. And then Meow is just all like, Wah! And then it cuts to him taking a chainsaw to the calendar. <laughs> just, 
the overreaction. That was like the other like little throwaway gag that like Dandy at this point just doesn't even care and was like playing video games with the slacker losers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and after that we get like a bit where like the slackers like start rapping about them trying to like uh, wahoo their answer on how to get out of the time loops. It's really awkward. <laughs> it's like dinner dinner don't do get your ass to wahoo. But they finally get the idea that, like, okay, we really need to, like, find a way to get out of this loop. Yep, and, uh, there's also some other bits of them trying to destroy the calendar, like, you know, trying to peel off the page or taking, like, a little, uh, hammer to it. Or Dandy just pulling a bazooka out of nowhere and just firing at it, going, TOMORROW! <laughs> that, that whole calendar battle is so ridiculous. I love it. I love the whole crux of this episode is just trying to get a page off a calendar. <laughs> And then Meow's dad does hear about their conundrum, and he does help the boys out as he uh, takes the calendar to his uh, factory and then uses the machine to, like, screw the uh, calendar page off so that they can uh, get back to, like, the next day. I love how that came back around, though! Yeah. yeah! But yes, there will now be a tomorrow in this world. And then the crew leaves on their uh, ship, and then Meow realizes how much he really loves his home planet, you know? Mm -hmm. Spending... I'm guessing, like, probably, like, almost half a year at this planet, reliving the same day over and over, he's starting to realize, you know what? This place isn't really so bad. You know, maybe come back for a visit sometime. Yeah. But that was a really heartwarming episode. Very cute. Yeah, it's, very, yeah, it's about some, like, good lovely. personal emotions that I'm sure yeah. a lot of viewers would have, would know. Definitely appreciate getting, empathize with. again, more of a look at our lovely little space cat. The only character that, out of our crew, that actually has, like, a real-life family... And just kind of seeing, like, where he was before he joined up with Dandy and QT. I guess it'll be the only character you could do that for. Yeah, that's true. That does make sense. Like, Dandy doesn't really seem like the guy who, who would sweat, like, where he came from in his family. But Meow yeah. does care about, like, his, how he appears to other people, though. He is very self-conscious about himself. Yeah. Even if he does, like, pour fish flakes all over everything and doesn't shower and smells awful. And makes out with his girly pillow every day in yep. front of everyone in the in the like the little living room area. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, going up after that is episode 11, I'm Never Remembering You, Baby, directed by Hiroyuki Okuno and with uh, storyboards by Atsushi Takahashi and written by To Enjo. A he... speculative science fiction author. And ex-physicist. <laughs> What's, what are you doing here? <laughs> whose only credit in anime is the Netflix Godzilla singular point anime. <laughs> and, and this obviously but yeah. that's it but no they got a novelist to write an episode and the episode is all about books yes it is <laughs> of course write what you know that's true and maybe throw in a little uh things that you may have heard about anime here and there mm -hmm. and director of this another gigantic Maya long list thing he's done episodes of food wars one punch man samurai seven bort yeah, Bort. Everyone loves Bort. My child's also named Bort. <laughs> <laughs> We're out of Bort license plates. <laughs> Barry Barclay Bort. So since, since this episode is all about books, uh, it starts off with the crew having an overdue library book that they seemingly got out of nowhere. As uh, this book actually belonged to Admiral Perry and is from the library planet of Legato. As it turns out, the crew stole this rare alien in a box from Perry, but uh, when you look inside the box, you completely forget about everything. So there's this bit where they're trying to show Scarlet this, and then he's all like, but don't open it, or else you'll forget everything. 
well then how do you know that i don't really know but then uh, scarlet then accidentally does open the box and then it causes them to forget about the alien but then that's when they get the book and then that's when they realize they got to go to this planet called legato because they also get like a little magic t- ticket to take them to the planet it's also when the color palette for the whole episode just shifts around to show this new paradigm. Yeah, as soon as that box opens, just everything changes. Like, backgrounds and objects look like pencil illustrations. Almost like uh, everything was smeared with charcoal. It does look like that. Yeah. It's a really cool visual style. Planet Legato, you say? Yeah. Yeah, like Legato del Fantasma. Yeah, we love Legato del Fantasma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this planet is run by uh, Santos Escobar. Yes, it is. <laughs> Santos Escobar is in charge of the planet. You know, and uh, Joaquin Wilde and uh, Raul Mendoza are like his uh, two sidekicks here. Yeah, lackeys. <laughs> and also this episode is kind of a bit notable as uh, B gets to shine a little bit here. As uh, Dr. Jill throughout this episode is kind of too preoccupied with like this scientific formula. And then B is actually leading the charge under Admiral Perry's orders to like catch Dandy. And also to uh, destroy the planet Legato because Admiral Perry doesn't want to deal with them. Hounding him for uh, late overdue late fees. <laughs> it's a whole episode about them returning a book to a library. <laughs> it is. It, it does get to be a bit, a uh, bit too talky, though. I will say it is a, a very, little bit. It is a very chatty episode. Like beyond the uh, the charcoal aesthetic of the episode, yeah. I love the artwork of this a, a bit, episode. A bit too oh, talky, God. in my opinion. And so uh, the crew then gets forcibly transported to this planet, and then the look of this planet—it's like just shelves and everything like that it looks straight up just like the entire planet is one big library which does also remind me a bit of like uh near the end of eureka 7 like they actually do go to a world that kind of is similar to this in a way mm. interesting man you keep bringing up the, that that show this episode it's kind of great it is kind of great <laughs> i'm just now being reminded of how great eureka, eureka 7 is yeah <laughs> i need to do a rewatch i have those blu-rays for a reason there you go so they meet the residents of this planet who refer to the book and the ticket as their librarian and deputy librarian, as the aliens are named Alethea and Idia, as they uh, took control of the minds of Dandy, QT, and Meow to escape from the Gogo Empire, and because of that, they don't remember it, but uh, we do see like a little uh, security footage of like the crew sneaking into like Admiral Perry's base operations and stealing the box. Tell Angel be like, and my and my aliens for the, that I'm designing for this episode are uh, a book alien. <laughs> <laughs> of course, a book alien. <laughs> he was just probably like looking around his office, and he's like, book, book, book. And then after after they've wrapped on the episode, he's like, I'll have a better idea later on. I'll get you back next time. But yeah, it turns out that uh, Alethea travels the galaxy collecting information and stores it with all within her pages, and she pretty much contains like all the secrets and information about the galaxy right here. And that's why Admiral Perry wanted her, because like, you know, you have that, you can rule the galaxy. And Idia was the one who set up this like whole operation to like rescue her and bring her back. And also these books, they talk. They do. As uh, Idia is played here by uh, Jason Douglas, and Alethea is played by You know it's all about the Bruin! Brand April, baby! I have to be honest with you, great librarian. I was terribly disappointed to learn that you had been checked out without informing us. Yes, we all were. In the future, please be sure to let us know ahead of time, Your Excellency. I will. I'm really sorry. 
Whoa, you're just a little girl. I know I shouldn't go off on my own, but I want to see the universe. When the checkout request came in, I went for it because I thought it might be my only chance. I knew it was wrong of me to manipulate others, but I couldn't help myself. The poor thing. I know how she feels. You don't know nothing. This little lady's a dreamer, just like me, Dandy. I wanted to see all of the things I had only ever read about in books. The fire bandits, the smash-and-grab thieves, the demons of hell, incantation dancing, the heads of the crucified on the prison gates! What kind of creepy books have you been reading? I know the animators must be having an easy time not having to animate lip-flaps on, on, like, text. No, instead they make this book look super moe because she's got a little blushy blush. <laughs> Aw, blushy blush. <laughs> and then things get kind of weird. They do! As before erasing their memories, Alethea gives the crew another red box as a gift, but then warns them not to open it early. And then the crew brings this box to Scarlet, and then they open it, and it contains a videotape that then manipulates people's memories. After a while, you know, it starts creating all of these, like, uh, different media forms. And then an intergalactic war <laughs> over video and computer storage begins. I laughed so hard at this. And it just goes, it continues on and then just goes unrecorded in history. <laughs> I love this. It was so silly. It reminded no me one, of like regular show. No it's one ever weird. learned of the uh, the first laser disc wars. No one ever learned. Of or it. the second or third one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I immediately thought of that regular show episode. Yes, I did too. Like, that's, that's another thing about Dandy that I also kind of love, where, like, the ending can just be, like, whatever you want, and it's just like, yep, that's a thing that's going on right now. Yeah, you can it's... just take the complete piss out of your audience by the end. <laughs> you know, they're all like, but you didn't see that coming. <laughs> yep. So then, uh, next one, our uh, penultimate episode of season one right here. Nobody knows the chameleon alien baby. Yeah, this is a ridiculous episode. So uh, this one is directed by uh, Satoshi Sago, storyboards by Toshio Hirata. And uh, written once again by Kimiko Ueno. Saga um, has, has directed Tech TV favorite Armitage 3, Polymatrix. <laughs> uh, OVA of Hunter Hunter. Um, the original? Few, yeah, the original nice. one. A few other things. Well, is there any other, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> oh, directed this episode 3 of Kijibuki Unbalanced? Hell yeah, baby. Let's <laughs> go. Another mile long page on ANN. Oh, jeez. An accomplished life, in other words. Yes, indeed. And also for uh, Toshio Harada, I looked at this up online, and apparently this was actually the last anime he worked on. Like, this episode right here. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. So, Scarlet makes a challenge to the Aloha Oi crew, as, uh, you know, they've been bringing a lot of these, you know, petty Jamoke aliens right here, so she instead wants them to bring in an alien that's so rare, nobody knows what it even looks like. Why? Because it, it can mimic... Anything and everything from living beings to inanimate objects. This is called a chameleonian. Or ditto. Yeah, pretty much ditto. <laughs> and this baby is worth a hundred million wulongs. So the crew is obviously hard to get this. Yep, and so uh, Dandy gets the idea, we should, go, we should go somewhere. And they're like, where? A planet that looks like it has chameleons. And then we get a shot of the planet, and then the text box says... A planet that looks like it has chameleons. Yes! <laughs> I laughed so goddamn uh, hard at that. Like, that's the name of this planet. Right? <laughs> and their plan here is to catch the chameleonian by just fishing for it. Yep. <laughs> and then QT catches a Suchinoko. 
A snake-like yokai from Japanese folklore, and uh, according to legend, some Tsuchinoka have the ability to speak and have a propensity for lying, and they also are said to have a taste for alcohol, and also apparently they can swallow their tails and roll like a wheel. Ooh, wow. That's so stupid. <laughs> it's actually kind of adorable. It is. Also, this uh, creature here featured prominently as an animal you can catch and eat in Metal Gear Solid 3. All right. <laughs> Though, if you uh, trank it and then keep it alive throughout the end of the game, on your next playthrough, you get the Infinity Face Paint, which gives you infinite ammo when you wear it. Hell yeah. It just it just sounds like that kind of creature where someone just saw a Gaboon Viper once and was and like just mistook it for like some mythological creature. Yeah, like because that's the only other that's the only snake out there that looks even close to like a Suchinoko because it's got like a it's got like a short, stout, fat body and like a big flat head and, and stuff. And it will kill you almost instantaneously <laughs> if it bites you. <laughs> also, I gotta mention another appearance of uh, Suchinoko in like uh, another piece of media. Uh, it was featured, it was kind of featured in the Halloween episode of Star Twinkle Pretty Gear. As in that episode, the cures wear costumes based on uh, cryptids, and the character Lala is dressed as a Suchinoko. Ah, cute, cute. And I love that as soon as they found the Suchinoko, Meow and Dandy just don't care and they tell QT to throw it back. Throw this extremely rare cryptid. Like, that's not what we're, lo what we're looking for. Yeah. And then QT gets really super into fishing right here. Oh, God, yeah. Like, really, really hyper into fishing. Like, just for some reason. QT just starts a fishing journal now. Like, would be great. I love the artwork of that journal, by the way. It is great looking. You know, just them all riding on boats and just trying to catch fish from all over this planet. And they're all just Tsuchinokos. <laughs> You know, it'd be great if he if they uh, started using, like, crack bait as bait. <laughs> then QT catches a black Tsuchinoko and decides to keep it. But it turns out uh, this little snake guy is actually the chameleonian. Oh, man. Of all the luck in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and it just messes with the crew, you know, uses Dandy's toothbrush, eats Meow's Takoyaki Popsicle, and uses QT's phone to look up porn. Yeah, this just becomes, <laughs> a, Looney, course, this just becomes a Looney Tunes episode from this point on. Like, I love that bit where QT just, like, walks in, daintily holding their phonies, and they're all like, what are you guys looking at porn on my phone? I don't even want to touch it now. And then Dandy's all like, I don't look at porn. <laughs> yeah, except clearly lying. <laughs> Why? You know, he has, a, has an account for clipsforsale.com. <laughs> Easy access. And then it just turns into the thing... But, like, the funny thing. <laughs> in Looney Tunes. Where they're just all, like, running around the ship trying to find the Chameleonian. Like, it first starts off as, like, this old man that is just randomly there. And it takes him a few minutes to realize, wait, this guy shouldn't be here. And then another bit where, like, Dandy's running down a hallway. Meow passes him. And then Meow passes him again. And then he tackles Meow. And there's, like, Hanna-Barbera Hanna bongo sound effects, too. <laughs> oh, my God. All the sound effects in this episode are just amazing usage. And by the way, one other thing I got to point out too, uh, more anime need to use the eye catch in fun ways because remember this one they had spot the difference between oh, the two that images. Was, yeah, that was really that I like was that. Really funny. <laughs> like that's clever. I like that. You're, like, you are right. Like more eye catches need to be clever. I remember uh, another pretty cute reference. Fuck it. Uh, Healing good pretty cute actually does that at the end. Drink of each every time. At the end of uh, every episode, they have like these little games. After the credits, you know, like, spot the difference or find out where certain characters are. So, yeah, it's, it's cute. I like that. Yes, we need more games in our anime. <laughs> you know, reward people for watching and whatever. Yep. <laughs> and then there's also a great bit where they think they caught the Chameleonian because uh, they transformed into QT. And they bring 
QT and the Chameleonian as QT both tied up to the alien registration center. But then right before they're about to register it, Dandy gets distracted by a woman with like an ass head. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he does. And then the Chameleonian escapes and then transforms into Scarlet and then tricks them that way. (laughs) And then they end up actually tackling and beating up the actual Scarlet. It's just one gag right after another. And then eventually it reaches a reaches a head right here where the chameleon turns into dandy. Oh no! I've seen double here. Four dandies. How are we going to figure out who the real dandy is? They do. Who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> they just do a game show, complete with like the little monitors and chairs like you see on the actual show. And then you have like QT going, asking a question. They answer the question and goes. Is that your final dandy? Is that your final dandy? And they're like, yeah, final dandy. And QT just stares at them going like, "Mm, you are correct. QT gives a hilarious looking smug face. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is actually a reference to the host of the Japanese version of Millionaire. Oh, really? Yep, uh, Montamino. And that's like his famous habit where like he would just stare silently at the contestants after they give an answer and (laughs) just keep them in suspense and go, you are correct. That's really cool. <laughs> you know, it's much better than, like, Reege's gimmick, where he's all like, oh, I'm sorry, you are correct! It's too predictable. Like, that, yeah. like the face, it makes you, it really makes you guess. Yeah, but, uh... It makes you nervous. But Mino, he's all, he, he keeps guessing, he's all like, mm, you're correct. Ah. Uh. It's like, you don't know what he's gonna say. I like that. That's so cool, I didn't know that. Also, he's still alive and still working in TV to this day. Nice. Nice. Yep, he's in his uh, 70s right now. Ooh, dang. And apparently he had he has like the world record for like uh longest consecutive hours of broadcast within a week at like over twenty four hours. Holy shit. Oh yeah, apparently shit. he only gets like he says he only gets like four hours of sleep a night. What the fuck? <laughs> he's dedicated. And he's in his seventies? Oh my god. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> my word. But yeah, QT doing an impression of him. Like the smug face is great. <laughs> Like, there's one image that I paused, and I just kind of started laughing to myself, where it's, like, QT does the smug face, and, like, Dandy is just has, like, this just this angry look on his face. <laughs> so they keep doing more and more questions, and then it reaches a point where, like, the Chameleonian is so good at disguising as Dandy that it starts to believe that they are the real Dandy, and Dandy starts to question if he's the real Dandy. <laughs> Oh, give it a rest, you faker! You're the faker, you faker! Oh, yeah, then who are you? I'm who you wish you were, pal! I'm me, baby, so there! I'm way more me than you! You're not you, you fraud! I'm you! I'm the real me! No, you're the fake me! Who's that make you? I'm not sure who's who. You are so me. Right back at you. I'm you, okay? Well, I'm you too. Hell, they're not sure who's who. Who are you? You! And who are you? I'm me. Can we get name tags or something? The Chameleonian, a master of disguise. It's so skilled, no one knows its true form. In the end, not even the Chameleonian itself. Uh-oh. I've been karate chopping through life like I'm dandy. But what if I'm really that Chameleonian thing? And I forgot all about it because I'm doing such a badass job of pretending to be the actual me. I am he, as you. Unless you're him. Drowning in the introspection he couldn't even spell, he grasped at answers. And then, as it all went black, he found one. Who cares, baby? And eventually they just 
give up. We just have two dandies now. Yep. <laughs> you get like this. Uh, We're over it. We get like this JoJo looking dandy, and then he deflates and goes, "Who cares, baby?" <laughs> yep. Who cares? More dandy is always a plus in this universe. And I do like the shot of Dandy and the Chameleonian just kind of doing a weird walk side by side together. It's just hands so in the pockets. So then the episode realizes, well, we gotta end somehow. And then, like, then enter Dr. Jell, who yeah. helps to fix the situation. Dr. Jell thinks he caught Dandy, but he caught the Chameleonian. And then it turns into him, you know, greets him with a, hello there, sexy. <laughs> so now we have two And then gels. he ends up with identity issues. It's yeah. now his problem. With the line in the dub, who's the doctor? <laughs> Who's the Doctor? Who's the Doctor? As a J. Michael Tatum, he's a massive Doctor Who fan, so that was definitely for him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then we we're left with this uh, narration from the narrator saying, well, like, chameleonians that are all around us, you know, anyone can be a chameleonian. Who's to say we're not all chameleonians? You know, maybe you, or you, or maybe you, or maybe there's one behind you right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I God, I love that episode. <laughs> It never fails to make me laugh. No. Another top tier dandy. It's great. <laughs> so, we're at the end of season one right here. We are there. And hey, we got a good one to end off on. Yeah, with episode 13, Even Vacuum Cleaners Fall in Love Baby. It's directed by Shingo Natsume and written by Dai Sato. Hell yeah. And it's a QT episode. Yeah, he gets a spotlight Yay! to close out the season. And this is a story about how after 23 days, QT drinks a cup of coffee. How did we get here? So it all starts off with the crew visiting a coffee house where all of the staff are robots. You know, it's a bit like that, uh, like the restaurant in famed, failed uh, iCarly Victoria spinoff Sam and Cat. There's a restaurant that has robots as the staff. Mm. I'll take your word for it. I'm only saying that because I've watched Quentin Review's episode on Sam and Cat recently. Because you have five hours of your life to spare in oh. one sitting. <laughs> well, five hours spread out over a few days. Ah. I can't do that shit without like a video game to distract me. I can't sit. <laughs> I can't sit and watch something like that for. Actually, wait, no, that's wrong. I can watch. I can watch Noah Coldwell Gervais videos. Yeah, <laughs> which go as far as five and seven hours. Yeah. yeah, you can watch the entire Resident Evil. You know what's funny? I can't sit and watch a Quentin video like that, or it's hard for me to. But not a Noah video. It's weird like that. I don't know why. There's something about the way Quentin talks about these old Nickelodeon sitcoms that I'm just so entranced with. Well, for me and Noah, it's, it's his turn of phrase. He's a really good writer. Yeah, that's true. And he's and it's his videos, like, the, the, the quality of them just, like, overall makes for a very chill experience. No, for with Quentin, he's kind of reminding me of an era of Nickelodeon that I don't remember because I left. Yeah, but for mm-hmm. Noah, it's 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 like humbling that like he that, like the the he keeps the production quality low or just high enough. Like he's improving it like ever so slightly, but like he focuses solely on the writing, and it's the writing is so good that it actually keeps you around and interested and invested. These YouTubers, man, like they just have like a knack of finding ways to keep you invested for pretty much half your day talking about useless stuff. Yeah, the long form <laughs> essays, like they've really come a long way. I mean, then again, we're one to talk. We do five, five and a half hour podcasts, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that is. <laughs> People love it. So uh, QT comes across this cute little coffee maker named uh, Maker, played here by Christy Kang. And it uh, looks like her little robo vacuum cleaner is in love. <laughs> and then You can tell because QT spits out a bunch of paper out of their nose. Oh, yeah, that's his way of showing he's uh, excited. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if you read if you read all of that uh the binary on that like that scrap of paper, it just reads Awuga. 
you know, a little bit of the... Exactly. You know, this is definitely a QT episode, as uh, Dandy and Meow, they are just kind of, you know, boom, non-factor throughout this entire episode. They really are. I mean, except except you get to see Meow's uh, evolution into a 2D girl kind of guy. Yep, they're talking about picking up ladies, and Meow's all like, forget it, I'm all about 2D girls now. <laughs> He's just playing dating sims on his phone the whole episode. While Dandy is talking about trying to pick up chicks at cooking classes or going for lonely housewives. Mm-hmm. Like, these two are, like, I feel Dandy really hates Meow, but at times these two just kind of have the... The bro talk right here. They like they like each other. They're both they're both out of luck with the ladies. Yeah, so Always. in that way they kind of secretly like each other. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it gets really cute where QT just keeps visiting Maker each and every day and just you know buys coffee beans from her, but he just really just wants to see her and just looks for an excuse to come by. And we also see some like other robots that work here, like Mill played here by Martha Harms and uh, Register played here by Chris Kaysen. And there's, like, another really sweet bit where Maker shows off a little latte to QT, and it's got, like, a little heart design, too. Yeah, a little latte art. That's, that's adorable. Very cute. And they even take, like, a little evening stroll because Maker talks about how, since she works at this coffee house, she can't really get out too much. Like, her purpose in life is make coffee, and that's it. Like, you can't really see the world like he does with, like, Dandy and Meow. But then, uh, one day, QT finds out from Mill that Maker and Register have been recalled to a seaborne landfill named Dream Island... Because uh, they've malfunctioned due to exhibiting emotions. Oh no! Yeah, robots. Robots can't have emotions. They have to fulfill their tasks and be uh, subservient to humans. That's it. They realized how dangerous that uh, Turing test is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't let them have too many emotions. <laughs> oh yeah, one thing. One thing about this episode that I mentioned is like a lot of the music sounds like straight off of random access memories. Oh yeah, it's got kind of like a Daft Punkish quality. It, it really does. does. So then QT sneaks onto Dream Island, and then he finds another broken appliance in the trash. This is Toaster, played here by Brandon Potter. And I look at him, and I like and I like to think, this is what happened to the brave little Toaster after he finally got thrown out. Like, this is where he ended up. He wanted to seek revenge. Brutal. <laughs> yeah, you know, he went on that big journey to see his kid, and what does he get? He gets thrown in the trash again once he finally stops working, you know, not, if, not as if he can fix a Toaster. He's now the vengeful little Toaster. <laughs> You know, he already, Out for blood. You know, he already killed John Lovitz. You know, he's going to go after, like, his, uh, the rest of the world. And then we see that all of the, uh, the broken-down robots, they have, like, little robot raves at the, at, uh, each night. Yes. And this is where QT reunites with Maker, and then we also see that Register is the DJ leading all of the ravers here. And then it turns out Register and the other discarded appliances are gonna converge with each other, including Toaster, to form a giant mech, and then start a revolt against the humans... In the nearby city. And they're all like, yeah, fight the power. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's it's really cool. And this is where QT kind of realizes that uh, Maker's heart doesn't belong to him. It belongs to Register. Aw. You know, that's, you know, the, her and him exhibiting emotions was because they were in love with each other. So that's why they both got thrown yeah. out. And she's really worried about Register. So QT's all like, okay, I'm going to go get him back for you so you can be happy. They're struck by a wayward blast of pionium energy from one of uh, Dr. Jill and B's experiments, 
and then they turn into a giant fighting robot. <laughs> I mean, he just gets really, really big. Yeah. What's the but he's big enough to fight against the robot in it's a spectacularly great. animated Mecha Cutie. It's so good. Oh, my God. It's great to see Cutie have, like, a real cool moment right here. <laughs> and, yeah, we got a sick robot fight that looks something... I've I seen people compare it to, like, some of the fights in the uh, Rebuild of Evangelion films. Like, just mm. the way, like, they kind of, like, the way the choreography works. Mm. Yeah. I can definitely see it. Yeah, sure. And so, season one comes to a close as QT manages to stop the mech and then returns to the ship to have a cup of coffee in which he uh, expectedly short circuits afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing end. Yeah, that's how we end season one right there. With QT short circuiting. From drinking coffee. I mean, you say season one, but it's really just the first half of the series. I mean, when it did air, they did take a couple of months off yeah. and didn't come back until uh, that July. It doesn't feel like an authentic season one end, though. No, it kind of feels... Not really. It, felt, it feels it's more the like... the end of the first half. Yeah, it feels like more they need to build up the queue of episodes to air them. Right. Exactly. Yeah, rather than like maybe a season, maybe like end of the first core. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, curtain down. See you next season. And I do remember when this uh, initially aired on TV, the next episode preview was all uh, storyboards and unfinished animation, while Danny says, hey, see you in, see you in July, baby. Yeah, did they? Oh, shoot, I don't... Yeah, because I remember... Because, yep. like, on the Blu-ray, they fixed it to have, like, actual animation. Yep, they use the... Complete, from the show. Yep, from the uh, season two premiere, they use like, uh, scenes from that for the uh, preview. Mm, yeah. But they still kept in uh, Dandy saying, see you in July. Yeah, okay. I remember that now. But no, I, I will say that was actually kind of cool to see, you know, just to see, like, you know, rough cut versions of, like, what Dandy looks like, just to give us a little taste of what's to come that summer. That was a yeah. very cool thing to do. Yep, made me look forward to the damn summer. Yeah, and, like, I remember after that episode ended, I was just all like, can't it be July already? I want more episodes. Yeah, yep. we were hungry for more. <laughs> give me more. You know, thankfully, they did. I remember Toonami did replay season one from start to finish again to kind of uh, bridge the gap between the seasons so that by the time season one ended we got the season two premiere yeah but season two that's a story for next time so final thoughts on the first half here i mean we're already in pretty good we're doing great <laughs> yeah i can't really say much because we're we're not actually done with the series yet no but, but uh, so, so far, far so far shaping up to be wonderful i mean i, I suppose had... i can talk at least about like how it felt Rewatching the series, because, yeah. Because like, again, it's been a very, very long time since I rewatched Space Dandy. Same here, and yeah. it still feels as good as when I first watched it. Oh my god! I mean, yes. I can pick up. I've, I've distanced. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more distanced these days from how I was at the time because at the time, yeah, I was being, I was being led through the series and powered through it with like a lot of hype, and so nowadays I can see like. You know some some of the weaknesses of some episodes and stuff. Mm -hmm. I certainly I certainly do sense that we'll sense some of that in uh, some later episodes in the second half of the series. But um, even though I'm a bit more worldly now and I can kind of sense those um, problems, I still think overall the um, series is still held up very well. Yeah, one hundred percent. And also, I feel that I want to kind of credit Dandy as a series that really kind of helped shape me in how I watch anime nowadays because back then when it comes to anime the only way I really watched it is either Toonami or buying Blu-rays and stuff like I hadn't really entered the streaming world yet because I didn't really have money for streaming services at the time but by the end of 2014 I did and like now just the experience of like watching Dandy week to week and you know discussing things with people online you know 
it kind of just evolved into me doing that with other shows from their other seasons of anime, and it's something that I still do to this very day. And I kind of got to credit Danny for that. Like, it's a very, very good show. You know, there are some weaknesses that I do notice around this point. Like, I did mention that the Undies and Vestians episode is kind of the weakest episode of the season. Yeah, I agree. But even then, it still leaves you with some good moments that make you smile and everything. It's still, I mean, like, the batting average for this series is extraordinarily high. Yes, well above 500 for this series. And I will say, upon reviewing this, some scenes that I remember loving... I kind of love even more now. Like the whole zombie episode or Meow losing his hometown. Like those episodes are just instant classics in my mind now. Yeah. And just overall, like with the the dub as well. Like first, Fantastic dub. Like not the first, but the one that really puts simul dubbing on the map. And like I got to credit everyone's hard work on this one. And the fact that they're still doing it to this very day with like every single anime under the sun right now. Even the bullshit that I don't watch. Like it's still... <laughs> It's still really impressive that they do this weekend and we got... Extraordinary amounts of work are still putting being put out there to this day. And yeah, like, as we get into Season 2, I will gush more and more about this series and also its place within the history of Toonami and, like, also just how I feel it's a show that I think it deserves more love. I oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's, a, it's one of those shows that should be up there with, like, a Bebop as something that just people talk about and go, Hey, remember that show? That show was great, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should come up. It should come up just just about, like, maybe not as much, but nearly as much as Cowboy Bebop. Like, at the very least, in casual conversation amongst anime fans. You should at least respect it, even if you don't end up watching it. Because, like, hell, even I have never watched all of Death Note to this day, but mm-hmm. I still respect it for, like, its place in history. You know, like Roman Reigns, you just gotta acknowledge it. Ones to the air. <laughs> we the ones... Yeah, I'm. It was a blast visiting this show. Bringing yeah. back good memories. Very good memories. Oh my god, I, I remember like I started it. I started it like a week ago, and then I was like texting you guys like, oh hey, I just burned through like eight episodes of Space <laughs> Candy. <laughs> yeah, it was just a fun time just revisiting the series, and honestly, it, it it it's held up way better than I remember it. A lot of really good highlights in there. Incredible animation all over the board. Just a lot of fun. Truly creative show that we don't necessarily get a ton of. They don't, they don't make them like this anymore. Yeah, they really don't. No, they don't. It was only some years ago, but they really don't make them like this anymore. Yeah. It was only eight years ago, which is wild to me. <laughs> the, the industry changed that much within that time. Honestly, yeah. Like Within the year, like the, the industry was already much different than it was at it the was. start of 20. 20- could you imagine mm-hmm. Space Dandy coming out today with the amount of hype they put out before? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe if it did air on Tsunami? Yeah. Do you think anyone would like consume it as much as well as they did before? But I talk, also discuss it in like much the same way. I don't know if it would be as big of a thing because honestly, like for real, Tsunami isn't as big of a thing in the world of anime anymore. Because like, you know, people don't really are like cutting the cord and not having cable. It's in a complacent spot right now. It is. But I feel like with that, but I feel like at the time, it was like critical mass, almost. Like it was right time, right place for that shit. Because the hype for Toonami's return still existed. Yeah, because that was like 2014. Yeah. Yeah, that was still well into, definitely well into the honeymoon period of that return. Mm -hmm. It came back in 2012, and that was just early 2014. Yes. Though I also have another thought, like, if Dandy were made today, do you think another issue would be, like, say, you know, Watanabe anime, 
you know, Carol and Tuesday on Netflix would have been like, what if this were like a Netflix only show? And people oh, yeah. Probably, I like, didn't consider the mm-hmm. fact that it would also exist at the same time as Carol and Tuesday. <laughs> like, you I, know, they, Netflix had success with Carol and Tuesday, and they would think, let's get the next one, that being Dandy, and would Dandy, like, be just stuck in Netflix jail? Yeah. And oh. that would be kind of a mm. bit of a curse right there. I also don't think it would be 26 episodes. I don't think the Netflix model would do any justice for Dandy. No, no. You gotta savor each and every single one of these episodes. Like, I enjoy- And with the Netflix model, it, it is not conducive to enjoying Dandy. No, like, one of the things I really loved about watching Dandy, especially that first season and again season two, is the fact that is like the communal the community yeah, of it like, on Twitter. Literally everyone was tweeting about uh Dandy as it aired. It was like the it was like I think I mentioned like the last time I really saw that type of thing, that type of fervor. Like it was truly event television at the time. Well, you do still see that fervor these days, but it's already for like adaptions of things that already have fan pre-established fandoms. You will you will see that with Chainsaw Man. You will see that. And we also currently see that with stuff like, say, My Hero Academia or Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer, too. I guess. Later this year, Bleach. I guess, but maybe I'm also slightly removed from it all, and I just remember it more as like a, hey, I was there thing, you know? But, like, I still have fond memories of watching every week, tweeting as the episode is airing, and even, like, back when I used to listen to the Toonami Pop People podcast, like, them doing episode discussions the very next episode and tweeting like, oh, I like this because da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Hashtag Toonami Top Back. Mm-hmm. But it's like, ah, I never see never see that again nowadays. I don't even listen to that podcast anymore, but it's like... The closest thing I have to that these days is probably Primal. Primal, yeah. <laughs> and I guess for me, like, uh, wrestling, AEW, that's pretty much it. Yeah, wrestling and... and pretty yeah, you I still have... get that experience with wrestling. Wrestling? Yeah. That's kind of one of the whole appeals of wrestling. And I guess kind of pre-cure in Love Live, though I kind of... No one's watching those at the exact same time. Yeah, I have. I mean, I had that same experience after I caught up on the first couple episodes of the rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like watching people's minds melt in real time. Like that's just a real fun aspect of like event television like this. Just not only feeling your reaction, but also seeing other people's and seeing like how they line up with yours. Yeah, I guess I was technically there for uh, our flag means death, actually, because well, like with that series. It's a weird situation where, like, I was I really wanted to what, get watch it and get into it because it's just a pirate. I just saw Pirate Show from Taika Waititi, and I'm like, okay, that's up my alley. I like pirates. <laughs> and then that it then turned into one of the biggest pieces of queer television <laughs> ever. <laughs> and here okay. I and I feel like someone just like sitting in like a theater, and then like all of a sudden I notice I'm like surrounded by people. Who are all just fucking hooting and hollering over yeah. it for every little fucking moment that happens in it. And I'm just the guy sitting here being all like, <laughs> pirates. <laughs> Yarr! Yo ho! Yo ho! Love that Steed, he's the worst in the world. <laughs> and then just me quietly, like, smiling as, like, the entire fucking crowd. Yells. <laughs> Yells at any at suggestive kiss. stuff. <laughs> so you know what? That is actually maybe even more than Primal. I was actually kind of there for that for like that series. There you go. Too. <laughs> nice. So I think the moral of this story is that people on Twitter need to set up a time, 
set it in their calendar, and be like, hey, we're going to watch the episode of Chainsaw Man at 8 p.m. Eastern on Friday. (laughs) You know, we can't have JoJo Fridays anymore, but we can have Chainsaw Man Fridays. All of you just make your own individual anime clubs. Yeah. Shout out anime clubs. I miss that shit. I kind of miss it, even though it showed me the worst anime ever in Future Diary, but I still miss anime. (laughs) Future Diary. Good good little micro community. I still showed them some good shit like Madoka and Michiko and Hachin. Yeah. And I showed Wild Zero like four years in a row. <laughs> Tiger and Bunny, that was the big one I showed. <laughs> we all showed bangers. Hell yeah. Uh, anything else? Boobies. Baby. Yep, restaurants. Hot wings. <laughs> good play, a good, a good depressing place to eat at. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I look back on that at least with like some humor, even though like at the moment I was like legitimately, I I legitimately just wanted to punch someone in the face. Yeah, but hey, now you have a fun story and you shared it with uh, the internet. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's it's pretty. I I guess it's a nice one to share, given that I didn't actually do anything in the end. In the end, it was just me going to a Hooters and just steaming while I just ate like crappy wings and curly fries and just guzzled the picture picture of cheap beer. Impressive. And he completely overshadowed me uh, talking about going to Hooters with my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. That happened. As she told you, you, is there something you want to say to women? And you were like, sorry, women. (laughs) (laughs) No, believe it or not, it was her idea. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Oh, Lord. (laughs) That's how I'll end it. I think that's a good place to end it on. <laughs> as good a point as any. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias. Mikey Shiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shiota on the gram. Where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and Wolfish Grin on Tumblr. And where can we find you, Tony? Hi, uh, Tone Dog on Twitter and Tone Dog 38 on Instagram, I guess. I'll say they can DM you for, like, uh bento playlists and oh yeah you can yeah you got good music hey thank you and also follow anime baby on twitter at anime underscore baby that's anime underscore b-a-y b-a-y also follow the show at animebaby.podbean.com apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts and so summer tsunami continues next time as we wrap up the adventures of the dandy guy in space with space dandy season two stay tuned folks we're not done yet we got a long way to go folks we're only halfway through which i think this season is kind of is kind of bigger and better in some places than season one you know one one thing's for sure they get more experimental Mm -hmm. they have kind of more of an overarching plot that becomes a bit more prevalent and uh, another thing that I never thought to, to see in Dandy, uh, a lot more singing. Oh, yes, there will be singing. Uh, oh, yeah. There will yeah. be music. Uh, yeah, there, there is. We're going to wrap back to summer music. <laughs> you can tell from the sound of my voice I'm mixed on that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh I, I love that. We're, I love those. We'll episodes. fight you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll, we'll settle that. it next week. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. We've got a music expert here. So. Yes. <laughs> next time, next week. But until next time, stay safe out there. Get vaxxed, get boosted, wear a mask, Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, stop Asian hate, abortion rights are human rights, and try and make it a good year. Get that get that next uh, booster while you're at it. Yep. Yeah, get that next one in your bloodstream. It's and, available to you. And get your flu shot. That's too. Winter's coming. Yeah, winter is coming. I wasn't trying to make a Game of Thrones joke, it just kind of happened. 
<laughs> oh god. No, no better time. That's, all the, that's the all the things you said agreed. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, now this episode's just dated because we brought that up. Everything we do is dated. <laughs> yep. And this dated podcast has been anime, anime baby. baby. Be my be my be my be my baby be my baby be my baby be my baby be my be my be my baby be my be my be my baby